0: I think that's like the exciting thing about rowing is actually like the way it can be different. Everyone is doing it slightly differently. And I think it's cool to see like a world championship final where it's like all these people have rowed and trained in a completely different way. And now everyone is like within two seconds. It makes you think like there really isn't a magic formula and actually so much of it is just like, does everyone in this team and this process believe that this is the best way of doing things? If everyone says yes, I think that's how you're going to get towards having like the most success possible as soon as you've got those doubts creeping into your mind then it's just gonna it's gonna limit how far you could get
1: hey what is up welcome to last stroke counts today's guest is the owner of clark performance coaching Please welcome Kieran Clark to the podcast
2: thank you for having me thanks for coming along uh, uh, come to see us so we, we've been out about a few recently but um back back home in Oxford which is good um, yeah really exciting again to speak to another coach I think we've had we've had a lot of athletes on and that's been awesome but when like I sort of delve into the background a little bit more I can be really interesting and certainly for rowers I think a lot of it is unknown about what goes on in in the background um, and a coach of, of your prowess i think um yeah uh obviously spent a bit of time at london and tideway scullers um but also i think four visits to under 23s as a coach and four gold medals five it's five now five visits but four Four, golds, four golds and one one fourth sweep and sculling as well uh three yeah four sculling one sweep yeah yeah so both disciplines as well yeah um and then obviously we'll get to
1: talk about what you're doing now doing your own thing um but yeah uh very excited to have this chat uh also like i see on social media you put a lot of stuff about rigging technique biomechanics crossfit so kind of like ticks all the boxes that <laughs> of, of like what i'm interested to like find out about rowing and nice no, I'm, I'm really excited for this
0: great me too
1: cool well how we normally start then is, is how you got into rowing it's always an interesting
0: story everyone's got a little different position. oh well i think mine's probably quite similar to quite a few other people in that um so i went to yarm school which is you the small town up in the northeast um i had a coach when i was j13 or the the coach of the rowing team um just came over to me and so i was i was lucky enough to be i was tall as i am now when i was 12 so i think there was probably probably <laughs> probably a bit more hope that i was going to grow a little bit taller than six foot so but for a 12 year old i was quite tall and already quite big and strong so i was basically just forced into the into a boat and because I was a lot bigger than everyone else to start out with, I was quite successful at it quite early on and I think you tend to enjoy things that you're doing well at. So that kind of kind of lit lit the lit the fuse for me. And <clears throat> I guess if I reflect on that time, we didn't really there wasn't a lot known about kind of training or even how to row, but I think the main thing that the main thing that I remember about it is that I loved it and I enjoyed kind of being out on the water with my friends and actually you know on reflection that's probably quite a big part of the reason that I'm still involved in the sport now which is good
2: yeah I think you got to fall in love with it especially if you're gonna then go on to coach it yeah uh, kind of have a love for it haven't you yeah to be able to pass it on yeah although you, I do you do meet the occasional wearing coach you you feel has fallen out of yeah. love with it, uh, <laughs> yeah. a few years before you got to meet them yeah, yeah. <laughs> still hanging on yeah <laughs> yeah uh, so then, yeah, so through school, like, so did you start to take it really sk- seriously at school or still, like you said, just really enjoying yeah, it? Yeah, not consciously.
0: Um, mm. I mean, we never, like, did trials of the J16 and 17 and 18, but, like, we didn't really used to erg. We, if there was an erg test we did for trials, we'd come in at before school, so, like, 7.30 in the morning and just do, like, the 5K at 26 or the 2K with, like, no prep and no real target. And wow. most of them would blow up kind of halfway through and... Um, so yeah, it was never really a conscious effort to take it seriously. Um, we won that schools. Uh, actually the first thing we did was we came second at the school's headers, J 14s, which I think was a surprise to everyone, including our coach (laughs) at the time. Um, so it was kind of obvious or clear that we had a a semi-decent year group at that time. Um, we, there was only six of us, so it was quite easy to pick the crews. It was either a quad and a double or a four and a pair. Um, yeah, went down to Nat schools as J16s and won the four, which was good. Um, I think that was an- another big learning experience was that we thought because we won the four on Nat schools that we were basically nailed on for GB France. <laughs> went down, went down to the trials and then it turns out most of the schools that had obviously prioritised the eight were now in the fours and we got beaten pretty badly. <laughs> so,
2: what year did you do? What year? Uh so that
0: was 2002, I think. Okay. So, yeah. I did it. We
2: did the trial in 05, and mm. it was even for Nottingham, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> the guy on the, I don't know why I did the guy on the start line, was like, he's like, it's, he had like a real like attention. Yeah. And everyone just went
0: like, yeah, go. Okay. we just yeah. like, everyone absolutely Yeah. Was, the, yeah, done. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was interesting time because we were successful, but probably not successful by design. We just ended up doing quite well because we all loved it and we wanted to train all the time. So, I guess we got reasonably good at moving the boat. I think if I look back now, it's not in the way that I would coach these yeah. days. But we just got good at doing yeah. the same thing, even find if the same thing way. wasn't right.
1: So yeah, yeah, find your own way to do it. Yeah, yeah. sport, sport on, way. yeah absolutely. Sport can move on as well when it comes to like technique or like what's yeah. now the common accepted practice. Like even under the world championships, you see like the Dutch are bringing out some of like a uh, mm-hmm. technique that's not really commonly used, like in the I guess the ex Commonwealth countries like yeah. the Australia's, New Zealand's, Britons, Americas, etc well we've talked t- about it as well. Like look at any single skeleton and be like that's yeah, <laughs> not how you're told to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but they're fast. So they found a way. How to yeah. move a single fast don't go yeah. full slide. Yeah. Cut it out way earlier than you think you need to. And never yeah. sit up. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> Throw with a power C all the way through. <laughs> Uh, so
2: after school, like, did you want to take it further? Was something else on your mind? Or- no, you so
0: meet? I actually kind of stopped about halfway through my J18 year. Okay. I uh, went to uni, definitely made the most of being at university and not rowing. So um didn't do any sport. was, like, studying, but definitely made the most of the opportunity of kind of being in Newcastle, having a lot of nights out on my doorstep. This guy's done a few of them, yeah. Home, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of, yeah, I don't I, I don't really regret it i think it was good like at the time i just kind of like oh I, as i said i think because i was reasonably successful like take that with a pinch of salt like successful relatively to, to being in the northeast yeah and the standard of rowing was not really as high as it was in the southeast um yeah i went to uni and then once i left uni um i got a job in a property company um spent about two months there and i kind of thought this isn't what I really want to be doing going forward. So I kind of said to myself, like, if I don't get out now, then before I know it, like 10 years will have come past and I'll still be in this job that I don't like. Um, so, yeah, quit that job, turned up at T's Rowing Club, having not rowed for four years, and then told James Harris, the coach there at the time, that I wanted to become a full-time athlete and go to GB trials. As a lightweight, bear in mind at that point, I weighed about 97 kilos. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so um i oh sorry it wasn't James Harris at that time it was Nathan Adams um I'm but a, what did he say to you uh, he just basically said like well you're welcome to join in the program but obviously you've got a lot of work to do and a lot of weight to lose so like you know that was as much as he could have given me at that time like he wasn't going to take me under his wing as a star athlete given that I had literally no track record <laughs> of really being in any way good at rowing um but yeah, got involved in a really good group there. I think that was kind of the same as when I started at school was that I just got stuck in. I just loved it. Um, it was a great group to be a part of at that time. I think quite a few of us have said since we left that environment, we probably didn't quite appreciate how lucky we were to be there. And just... You should uh, sh- shout out a few names. Yeah. <laughs> <to it> <laughs> there's a, there's uh, yeah. we was just like, yeah, people like Chris Boddy, Bob Hewitt, uh, Ben Rowe, Joe Ratton, Beth Bryan, Kat Copeland many uh kind of ed mace will mace all that that kind of era yeah yeah Yeah. um so i think every there's a one point where everyone in the group i can't remember which year it was so cat ended up winning the olympics i think everyone else at that time either went to a world cup or a world championships or european championships apart from me but um i was just happy to be kind of be hanging on hanging around that area and actually on reflection like so much of what i learned at that time influenced me as a coach not necessarily of how i was coaching but just about like i guess because i'd seen like well here's the ultimate team environment and actually then like once you've been there and experienced it it's then much easier to to recreate it yeah after that
2: i saw a good quentin tarantino quote essentially boiled down to was um you know like race with the fastest people you can find. yeah you might never win but you'll end up being the fastest version of you yeah exactly which, yeah which yeah. i liked hundred yeah. yeah. percent yeah. 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 yeah yeah like yeah. you said like then it's funny, isn't it? You look back, you don't realize how much you learn from just being, when you're in, yeah. it, you're in it and you go
0: back and you're like, wow, there's so many things. Yeah. I was good about <clears throat> that. Yeah. Yeah. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah. 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 I had, a, had a, a moment a few years ago, actually. So I, when I was after Tease, I moved down to UL and I was rode under Brian Young. And then I ended up working at, at UL. So then he, was, I went, he went from being my boss to my coach. I had a moment about four years after I'd left and he'd left where I was doing something and actually messaged him and said like, because we didn't really, like, I was probably not a great employee at the time. It was like, I wanted to do more than I was capable of. and But yeah, there's a moment where I messaged him and said like, actually, I don't think I've ever really said thank you for everything that I learned from around that time. And actually like, as you said, like once you're out of it, you realize how much you actually took in. And yeah, I did the same thing. The first
2: time I, as a coach, pushed off, my crew mm. to a serious event like that evening, then messaged my rowing coach and like, <laughs> "I'm so sorry." Yeah, like, I never, <laughs> yeah. I never took it. I've talked about this before, but like, just never took it into account because, like, as a rower for me, the push off is like kind of where I almost settle. Like, yeah, okay, now I'm in my rhythm, my warm up, I know what yeah, I'm yeah. doing. But as a coach, like the opposite. I see yeah, <laughs> I know. I I now have like no effect. Like, I can't, yeah, I can't, can't help it Yeah. Yeah i think it's a good one it's, I know.
1: A, it's a different kind of pressure though when you're coaching uh, versus when you're an athlete because it's it's almost like your everything that you've put into these athletes is going to be like put to a test but you can't yeah you, you can't influence any any part of the outcome yeah anymore. i felt yeah. responsible
2: for, ev- for everyone's act like if someone was going to catch a crab like i feel like i'm alive
1: yeah. yes yeah.
2: because i didn't coach them well enough whereas as an athlete it was like i'm only worried about my performance yeah, yeah yeah and you never would
1: blame your coach absolutely <laughs> Man, no, no. In, in the first raid that, that i've coached like my, my my athletes have gotten up to like a pretty good lead and then about 200 meters before the finish line one of them falls off the seat mm. so that means she um she kind of like lost control of like the rhythm, and then she couldn't row in time with the boat, which in turn made the stroke girl catch a crab. Yeah. And then she put her blade back in, and then it, it just all turned into like a bit of a, a mess. And everything like, going wrong at once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just felt like I just I caught that crab. I've loved to see that. It's just like you can't it's you tough. can't. It's really hard to separate, especially yeah, when yeah, yeah. Like you really care.
0: Yeah. Well, I always had the view. Well, thankfully not anymore. But like, if it went well, it was because of the athletes.
1: If it went badly, it was because of you, because <laughs> of the coach. That's kind good, of how I always looked at it. That's mm. a good mentality. Yeah, I've, he- yeah. I've heard it from a lot of football coaches. Like, yeah. wh- you know, yeah. win is for the players, but yeah, the manager makes the mistakes, yeah. not the, the manager, other way around. I don't really think that's fair. Like, this,
2: particularly in football, I don't think it's really fair. Mm. It's like, if, if some team does incredible, like, it's all Ronaldo. And if, yeah. they, if they mess it up, then the manager needs firing. Like. Yeah. Well,
1: that's, that's, that's true. But that, I guess that's just, like, taking ownership of the actions of your team, whoever, like, you know, you're in charge of a lot of people that like you're leading them so ultimately you have to like carry the responsibility because like, yeah. if you lose a game and as a manager you start pointing fingers and not look inward. I don't know if that's a good long-term success strategy but I yeah, do, I, I do understand what you're saying. You look inside but yeah, I don't think you can just be like, like imagine him rowing like every time you
2: lost a big race like fire the coach, give me yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure it happens <laughs> Yeah, in some places. There are things I think it more. should happen in some uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I like, I think them wearing. Uh, it's a very performance-based sport for mm-hmm. the athletes, and not yeah. and not all the time for the people hanging around the edges. Yeah, like some people get things wrong and they just yeah. stay there long term. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So you mentioned like moving down to London was that a decision for your rowing or for coaching? A bit of both.
0: Uh, for rowing, yeah, hundred percent rowing. So, um, yeah, as I mentioned, that T's like all those people who are kind of of that higher level, they were gradually moving down to Cabersham or like a few people moved to Leander. So it got to the point where. I was then, by that point, I'd done like two, three years of rowing in the single, like <clears throat> done all right at trials, but not enough to get in the team. So I was kind of like looking at like, well, I think that I guess as a club rower, like the ultimate goal is to win Henley. And that had always been like a major goal of mine. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, well, now these people are leaving and there's not new people coming in. Like this is looking less and less likely. And um, I knew the coach at UL, uh the assistant coach at the time phil grain he asked me to come down to do four sets um in november of 2011. um so i came down to do that that was just like eye-opening because so we were like i remember the first time we went out of that quad Bearing in mind that all my rowing experience up to that point was all on the river tees where there's like one rowing club at one end the school at the other end i like literally no other river traffic and the the first session i did at ul we rode up up through Richmond Lock, so and it was um I don't know if it was Bonfire night, but there was like we were like I'd never rode in the dark before. I'd never really done any like side by side crew boats at that point. Um, and we were just rowing up in the dark and there was fireworks going off overhead of and we were doing this like mad kind of like lactic tolerance session, and then like for me it was just kind of like, wow, okay, this is like I'm now seeing this whole other world of rowing. And I I was basically like hooked after that. Because it was like, great, I could be part of a big squad. Like, everyone here can scull and sweep, and we move around in all these different boats. Um, so, I came down to Forshead. I think I went home for like maybe a couple of weeks. And then I basically came back to UL, stayed in the bunk room, did the head of the river, ended up doing Henley. And then by the end of that year, they kind of said, well, we have this flat at the boathouse that if you want to live in here, you can. So. <laughs> So I basically came down for one race, went home for a week, and then then that was it. Moved into the, the boat that house. was in for that was it for the next ten years, basically. I was then like <laughs> I was like, right, okay, I live in London now. Um so yeah, came down for that. Um
1: must have been a bit of a culture shock Oh thing, yeah, like, absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um but it was like it was interesting because because I got to a point where I was good in a single, but it wasn't really by rowing that well. It was just because I was training full-time and I was around all these other great people that I could push off, I just got really fit and strong. But actually, going into those crews made me realize that like my skill level was still pretty low. And actually, there were so many good coaches at UL, like Brian Young and Phil and Rusty and David Spray, David Townsend, a lot of those guys that have like been around the sport for a long time, and I guess, and Chris George as well a lot of people there around in that era where there was like, nobody did weights. There was no, herbs, it was just all about like the boat moving ability. And mm. I think like, even just within that first year, I just learned so much about how to, how to move a boat and, um, to so stay there for another year, did, did another season there. And then kind of, as we got to the end of that season in, uh, 2013, it was then kind of became apparent there was like four or five or six of us that, uh, wanted to have a proper crack at Henley. Um, so I think the selection process didn't really last that long. We kind of, it just, everything fell into place of like, well, this is the four people that, um, want to go forward with this. And that was a, a pretty interesting experience that we, so we raced and met regatta having really only just come together and we were so far in the final of the elite, so far behind in the final of the elite fours that we got washed down by the safety lodge, um. And so we ended up beating Rob Ro- Rob Roy in the final of the Y-fold, Maybe I can't remember how long. Three weeks later, four weeks later, but I think that in that race, at met they're about two hundred and fifty meters ahead of us. Wow! So we were, and that's no reflection on them. We were just we were just absolutely terrible at that point. Um, and that was like in my mind when I think back, like we had ages together, but really it was like you know we've got three and a half weeks to kind of get this right and. Uh, Chris George our coach came in uh, just before Marlow so we literally had um, yeah it's two two days. two two weeks with him yeah not even 10 days and it was quite a nice crew to be in because we were like completely under the radar like nobody expected yeah. us to win actually there was did you pre-qualify no, uh, did we did pre-qualify. Yeah, no, yeah, we did pre-qualify. Um, so we did our Ryan Marlow, making we, the A we, final. We, we,
2: yeah, yeah, we shows,
0: came yeah. second in the senior four, right. but then there was still the elite four above yeah. that. Um, but yeah, so I remember on the what it's called, like the Mystic Henley, the predictions. Mm. There was only one predictor of Tyrion to win the life, and that was my that was my own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we had like, yeah, we had a we had a good run through the regatta. Um, got a couple of like. You know the draw was pretty good to us in that not that it was easy races but they were like became increasingly harder but achievable so I guess our, yeah, our our confidence grew as we came through the regatta and actually you know looking back if we'd have just had two easy races to start with or three easy races I don't think we would have ended up I think, I think you always need a bit of luck at Henley yeah
2: I don't think anyone won without a bit of luck at yeah draw somewhere yeah yeah and that being
0: said that was also the fifth the fifth time I'd done the Y fold and. I'd been disqualified once, knocked out on the Wednesday twice and then won one race. So the furthest I'd ever got before that was Thursday. What'd you get DQ'd for? Um we clashed with Star Club before the end of the island and oh. t- it was actually the year before in, in twenty twelve. So we got yeah, we got DQ'd. Ah. <laughs> that, so that was, ta- ta- that, was, that was pretty brutal, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, I think like yeah, as I said, you gotta get lucky and I think that was the year where I just like Everything that could have gone right for us went right. But equally, we took those opportunities when they came and Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really yeah, paid yeah. off. And I think there's a lot of things I've done in rowing that when I've achieved them, it hasn't been as good as I thought it would be. But Henley is the one exception where i watched so many like row TV video. Like I never watched any of the racing. All I watched was that moment where Last you cross the line and celebrate. And I was like, that was all I was fixated on. I was like, I want that. And I'm not going to give up until I get that. And actually, like, when it happened, it was great. But equally, like, the five strokes before was, like... How much did you win by? A canvas. But did you know when you crossed? I knew we were going to win because we were level, and then we were, like, just edging ahead. So it was, like, we had the momentum. Um, but, yeah, being about to win and then winning, I was, like, it was actually 10 times better than I imagined it would be. You know? That's like, awesome. It was, like, because w- considering it was, like, four or five years of work to get there, it was, like, it was worth it. I would have done the same like again no no absolutely no question so I also yeah. won by six feet but
2: they were coming up so fast and yeah. I didn't dare look yeah that that by the time we crossed the finish line I put my head down <laughs> by the time I looked across they were level yeah and like no one really knew and I I, I don't know in some ways I feel like slightly was robbed of the being able to do yeah. that the finish line <laughs> but I guess I guess in my mind it was like minutes before yeah, out, yeah. but it's probably about ten seconds before people started cheering. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, <laughs> there's just that point on the finish, like, oh
0: my god, did we not? Did yeah. we not do it. But so yeah. in in our race, it was, it was, it would have been a great one to watch all the way through. So we're racing Rob Roy. I think they were like completely op- opposite crew to us, and that they were. So I think they had two or three world class start guys. And then we were pretty weak, really, um, physiologically. So I think we probably were a bit more efficient than them. They were definitely way more powerful. So they got into the lead. And then their two-man caught a crab. So we got into the lead. And then they got back into the lead. Oh, then we pulled nice. level. So we were kind of like dead level coming through start of the steward's enclosure. And then one thing that we'd worked at a lot with our coach was basically like the ability to sprint. And still have something left at the end, and actually, like that's what that's what won it for us in the end. So and that was like another part that was like so satisfying that it was like, and he, and he even said before the race, like they're a better crew than you. So it's like the only way you're going to win is a by putting pressure on them, and b by by being able to rate like 45 plus at the end, which is exactly how it played out. So
1: wow. we also we
0: also
2: yeah. got um, beaten by about two lengths by by Tadroskeller yeah. uh, Met um and then we went away on our training camp and yeah ended up beating them just at the henley final but i think yeah. there's something to be said for uh the focus of losing to someone you know you yeah, have to beat yeah, yeah, and yeah, also yeah. like a three-week project or yeah. a short project you know like an under 23 camp like yeah i'm quite often at the end of 23 thinking god we only know it was three weeks imagine if we'd had six months yeah. but actually when you know you've only got three weeks and every yeah, session yeah, yeah. counts and you turn up and you are absolutely focused yeah
1: you can gain so there's like honeymoon
2: period yeah. you know like everything <laughs> yeah, yeah, could yeah. just go really well and then you just
1: start you just got so much coming out to yeah that point. yeah so winning Henley as he said felt pretty incredible yeah did you know you wanted to continue after this um I hadn't really thought past the end of that race to be honest um I think
0: yeah in my head I I guess I thought at the time like if you win if we win then that would be a good time to retire but then literally as we were putting the boat away, I was already thinking about it. And I was like, I've just had the best experience of my entire life in, or my entire rowing career. I'm kind of like, why would I stop? Yeah. Why would I stop now? Basically. Um, I'm good now. I can yeah, do this again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's funny. Cause it like, I guess that 10 seconds when you cross the line is like, as I said, that was worth the five years, but mm. it it starts to kind of like fade pretty quickly. And then you realize like, well, my life isn't actually any different and i'm not like i'm not a better human being for having done this but yeah i think it takes some people a bit longer yeah <laughs> different people take different times yeah. That, yeah you definitely get looked at uh, i think you're definitely held in a higher regard once you've got a henley medal but yeah. yeah there was like people in the season after when i was like not taking it that seriously that were like asking me to be in these really good crews and i was kind of like i'm not at the level that you think I am <laughs> and I was like definitely the worst person in that crew that we won in so yeah it was it was nice to nice to be thought of in that oh, way that, that's the
2: best place to be though yeah i spent so much of my career getting the last seat in the boat yeah wishing that i could be the first seat and yeah. but then when you're the first one in the boat then you realize yeah no one's that's as good one. as you
0: yeah. but if you're the last
2: one in it's the best boat you've ever rode <laughs> exactly yeah. 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 so it's a, it's all if you want
0: it's the one you want really. yeah yeah so yeah I carried on for another season kind of doing it I guess more for the enjoyment. Um, I think I was like pretty honest with myself at that time that winning a Henley Medal was definitely the best thing I could probably achieve. How
1: old were you at that point?
0: I was 26 at that point. Um, so I'd probably already kind of like bummed around for long enough pretending I was a full-time athlete <laughs> 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 that I kind of needed to do something about it and start earning some money and kind of get a proper job. So um, yeah, started coaching at the american school in london um and i was living at ul so it was like i only had to walk downstairs to work which was pretty good right. but, um yeah i started enjoying coaching a bit more um i was still doing some rowing but yeah kind of more for the enjoyment and then um so that season i had a few more opportunities to i guess be in boats at ul where i was more like the leader of that crew. Um, so either rowing in more like the second or third day or sometimes with like the non-students and yeah doing a little bit of one-to-one coaching as well um and then with the stuff I was doing at ASL I think that was when I kind of realized that like okay I do want I feel like I could be a good coach and I feel like I do enjoy the process of coaching and enjoy the process of working with people um but then by the end of that season we kind of got this pretty ragtag group of guys together (laughs) um to do a Prince of Wales squad and Um, had some really good coaching Uh, again like quite last minute and heavily from Dustin who used to be the women's coach at Thames who was like he was like game changing like what he did with us in in a couple of sessions Um, that found us quite a bit of speed and then yeah we ended up we ended up having like nearly the kind of dream run again was like we were getting good races that we were coming out like just on top of and having a great time like we were still going out to dinner every night in Henley and like having a couple of beers so it was like there was definitely no no pressure to perform in that year at all which was just like a really nice way to it sometimes makes it easier to yeah perform. exactly yeah um yeah it had a really good race in the semi-final um lost to the crew that ended up going on to get pumped by Leander in the final so So we still had our Saturday night out and still had a great time. And yeah, I think that once we'd done that, then that was like, it was very obvious of like, okay, that's a good time to end now because I've really put minimal effort into this (laughs) season and I've got a result way better than I probably should have done. So um, it's not going to get better. No, it's never going to get better than this. So, and then that was when I was like, okay, I'll now go go into coaching and then, weirdly in in october i ended up having a horrific back injury a prolapsed a disc so Ooh. actually that would have ended it anyway so but yeah i've always like counted myself lucky that i got to end it on my own terms mm. and then getting injured because i know a lot of people have been forced to end their careers through injury and actually yeah it kind of ends up not like haunting you but i guess there's always a the what if so yeah exactly there's always going to be a what if like could i have done more and at least i can. i could end my rowing career saying like I could not have done any more than I did. So yeah. that was a nice, that was a nice place to be. So how did you end up getting a prolapse this then after retirement? Um, it was actually, well, basically I stopped doing any kind of stretching or core. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then carried on like semi training. And it was, it was like funny, actually now I read back. So I was still keeping a training diary and like the week leading up to it. And my training diary was just kind of like had to stop the erg, back was hurting, like had to stop running back was hurting. Oh. <laughs> and then I, um, yeah, it was literally just picking up a power clean off the floor, like quite a lightweight. And then it just went and it was quite scary because at the time I couldn't move my legs and I saw, I, I, like, I didn't know what was going on. I was kind of like, well, is that it now? Like, am I, like, am I paralyzed or? Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, one of my good friends, who's still one of my good friends now, who's a doctor. He was in the gym at the same time and he was kind of like, I think you're going to be okay, but I had to wait for this. <laughs> I had to wait for three hours for an ambulance, so I was just kind of like lying there on the lifting wow. platform at UL waiting for this ambulance to turn up. And there was about half an hour where everyone was kind of like, "Should we keep training?" And then, and then after like half an hour later, everyone just carried on. <laughs> so everyone carried on with their weight session, and I'm just like lying like half crippled on the floor and oh. you know, not really knowing what's what's going on. But yeah, to, to, <laughs> only in a row. Yeah, club gym. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think everyone was like, Are "You okay?" And I was kind of like there's literally nothing you can do to help me so just you guys just uh, carry on yeah,
1: wow that's yeah. brutal though but yeah. it sounds very similar to a story i've heard about oh yeah mine went
2: once i'm doing power cleans. it's it's a difficult uh did you feel it's like a cracking breaking noise yeah back. yeah just, but i was trying to convince myself i hadn't hurt it that badly so then finish my set oh um uh which just made it work because then you get like when it goes it's almost a bit of adrenaline is it yeah it, it's, it, ha- it doesn't kick in for a while then i finished the set and then went home and then i uh, couldn't move and it's yeah. like uh uh-uh. yeah. yeah it happens but yeah same thing ah uh, even that for marcus i mean one time when my back went at camisham i, I went into physio that morning and i was like on oh, all my Marcus, i feel good my back feels good i feel mm. loose <laughs> and then <laughs> i did an ergo and it just that's it yeah. so that's kind of the point for me when i was like i didn't even I can't even like manage this anymore. Either. Yeah. It's just it's just popping off when I when yeah. so there's one of those things, but that's right.
0: Yeah. Well it's never been the same since. Um but yeah, it's been ten years now nearly enough. Just yeah, as I said, you just kinda of learn how to manage it. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I can't I can't, like I, I, can't uh, I can't get on an erg. I can erg yeah. for like two minutes maybe, but Really yeah. still. yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's just I think it was obviously like the rowing movement that caused it. Yeah. Uh, so that's like the one thing that I now can't do but it's also oh, the one thing i don't really want to do so so, Quite
2: so, so it's all good yeah, <laughs> yeah you <know. laughs> so you said in terms of like coaching you know like you kind of found that you liked it what mm. what like what specifically about it because i find it funny how some people kind of get into a sport find doing that sport mm. and like yeah this is this is what i'm good at this is what i love and then some mm. people i would say was like progress through it yeah and then actually like no it's like no i was i was all right at doing it but like yeah. actually being on here and like this is where I feel like where I could make more of an impact than I could yeah. even doing it, which I think is kind of like an interesting yeah. perspective.
0: Yeah, well, that's uh, exactly how I saw it early on is uh, like I think I could help people to be better at this than I was myself. Mm. Um, I just found like the process of helping people get better at something like incredibly rewarding. Yeah. And actually like, you know, five years earlier, it was like, oh, I'm just doing this for myself. Mm. And actually like, you know, I hadn't really maybe seen the benefit in helping other people or maybe just hadn't had, had those opportunities but yeah as I said that I think that that year I spent at UL like coaching and rowing was like quite a formative experience in that I got to row in some crews where you know there's like eights head in 2014 is the one that stands out where I went into what was kind of like the third eight which was like the bottom students and some of the non-students and uh myself and will Thompson, who was also in that y Ford four we kind of like led that crew almost and um you know in previous years, I'd kind of been like, Hey, why are you doing this? like we need to do x and y better whereas like actually trying to play that role of being the leader to mm. help everyone else, I guess I don't want to say like, oh we're doing it really well, so you've got to do it like us, but it was more just like that encouragement or just having bringing that like positive attitude to the boat and then look. Lot, ended, but it's just like uniformity isn't it it's yeah exactly like there's, yeah, there's yeah. more than one way to do this let's do it this way. Yeah, yeah yeah and we ended up coming 33rd of the head which for that grew as like an exceptional result and then i guess that was when i really saw the benefit of like well okay here's 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 an environment i could have an influence in and then able to kind of get you know facilitate people working together and i think like why i did well at that time and then probably what some of my strengths are now is not necessarily the technical coaching it's just like facilitating that environment that people like feel empowered or feel comfortable to kind of like put themselves out there to improve Mm. and actually like that's what i still find the most rewarding yeah actually just like you can see sometimes like it's people i kind of had it this year with some of the under 23 teams like people are almost a bit wary of it i've just been like why you're being so supportive and like encouraging you like this isn't what rowing is supposed to be <laughs> why are you screaming at me? yeah yeah
1: yeah um did you did you draw that as any inspiration with regards to that from like your other coaches or from the experiences you've had as an athlete
0: um i think it's kind of like as we discussed earlier it was like i had definitely seen that from other coaches but maybe i just hadn't seen it at the time mm. and actually like when you're an athlete you're just focused on like yourself and like your own performance and I was probably quite probably worse for that than some other people but um yeah I think just a lot of the coaches I had at UL like particularly Brian Young and Chris George I think they they were really good at I guess like having that more collaborative style and having that relationship with them that was quite reciprocal of like you know you appreciated what they were putting in they appreciate what you were putting in and and just having that like open communication and kind of feedback uh, way of way of feeding back to each other and I think yeah as I said just, just creating that environment where people wanted to do it as opposed to feeling like they had to do it, which yeah. I definitely had been in, and probably had also had created that situation myself at some points.
2: Yeah, when you when you put a program together and you see, especially like new athletes, mm. like coming to you and asking to do more.
0: Yeah, oh, I've, <laughs>
2: I've got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they're in. Yeah. yeah, I like that feeling. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, not having to be like, come on, come on, do yeah, more, yeah, come yeah, and yeah. do more. And like they're like, can we do another session? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then the move was to Tideway
0: Skellis. Yes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that time. Um, so at, at, yeah, at UL, I was like very much the third ranked coach, which was which is what the, the job was. You know, it was not like, you know, I, I just had kind of ambitions above my pay grade at that time. So I was kind of like more looking for somewhere where I could like build my own thing and be more in control of it. And luckily at that time, Um, scholars were looking for a women's coach to develop their women's program. And, um, so I went and met with the captain, Miranda McLaughlin at the time. Um, and she kind of offered me a great opportunity that was kind of like, we want to grow the women's squad. Like we're investing some money into it and we just kind of want you to take charge of this and kind of do it your own way, which at the time was like exactly what I was looking for. So. Luckily, there was quite a few people graduating from UL at that time that kind of moved over with me. So I guess like we got that momentum of of building the squad quite early. Um, And yeah, as I said. You in charge, first job fully in charge? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Scary? Straight into it. Not really, no, because I was kind of like chomping at the bit to to, to get something for myself. And um, I guess that's been a pattern like through my career. I've just been like, I feel like I've probably been quite good at seeing when there's a good opportunity and. You know at the time people were like why are you go- why are you going there to be the women's coach because there wasn't like at, at that time in the and maybe like the two years previous like there wasn't a big women's squad and maybe they hadn't been getting the results like in in the in the in the, in the public in the public eye sorry <laughs> um so yeah it was good because i just go in do my own program did all the recruitment and kind of yeah just developed it like from there and we were quite lucky with people wanting to join um, kind of halfway through the season. So we managed to get a good eight together for Henley women's and then um, won the women's club eight at the end of that first year. So that nice. was like, a, that was a quite a good kind of like, it was almost like a good statement of like, okay, okay we've done this. And also the club had put a lot of money into buying a new eight. So we were really keen to race in the eight and obviously get as many people um, a chance of a medal as possible. Um, but that was just kind of like the crowning duel and we got to a lot of semi-finals and even in some of like the senior events and the lightweight events, we, we performed quite well. Um, it was like, at that time, it was good because the standard of club women's rowing is even in, this was in 2016, was like, it's moved on so much now that it was actually good because in that time, yeah, there wasn't really anyone that had like properly taken it on at club level like even at that time Leander I think that year already had a couple of women and Mm -hmm. like we were kind of quite level with Thames and there was you know there was there wasn't really like a standout club at at that time so there was a there was definitely an opportunity there to kind of like take it on and be like okay we want to put down this marker of like here's what we're about like we gotta we want to recruit people we want to train hard and we want to aim to win at at, at women's because at that time like Henley royal was just like a pipe dream for most club crews because you're trying to qualify in like the bottom end of the remnant and actually yeah. at that time like most club crews were just not at that standard I think it's
2: like the depth isn't it like so even plenty through my career like mm. men's you know oh we, we want to do an eight at henry we've got mm. like six or seven good guys and then yeah we kind of have to find one or two more and that's yeah. with it you know when the involvement on the men's side is much bigger so in a women, you're trying to put an eight together yeah There's you know oh, we've got four great but then the, the standard was just yeah hadn't quite built up yet um well you said it's different now which is awesome but yeah again like for you to be like i spot an opportunity here yeah for someone else being a, you're going to somewhere that hasn't got a program yeah then to do women's round which maybe hasn't got the prowess of the men's at the time even yeah. in that club not necessarily like nationally or whatever yeah whereas for you you're like hang on i've got nothing to lose yeah and there's an opportunity here because yeah. there's no standout club and yeah. i think like that's like you said
1: like there's luck, and then there's yeah. actually taking what's in front of you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was also gonna ask you, like, how do you find like running your program just three years after like finishing your full-time career? Like, you know, like being in charge of like a bunch of athletes and organizing them, and you know, it it takes a lot of like different skill set. Yeah, to yeah. to do both things.
0: I didn't really consider it at the time, <laughs> to be quite honest. You like, just went with it. Yeah. I, I, if I look back now, like, okay, I was. You know, I've obviously learned so much now. And, like, if I think about even some of the training we were doing at that time, I was just, like, kind of cringe a little bit. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah. At the time, I was like, well, I, you know, this is the best training we should do. And, like, okay, yeah, I went in that with, like, coaching a group of women being like, oh, no, we're not going to do weights. We're just going to do circuits because circuits is the best thing to do. But obviously, like, knowing what I know now, especially about, like, specifically, like, female physiology, it's like, I can't believe that I ever said that that was the best thing to do um but yeah it yeah as i said i just saw it as a good opportunity and okay i didn't really have that much experience of <clears throat> like managing a big group of athletes but we started with quite a small group and I, I guess like making the transition from university to club it's like you know most of those people were quite self-sufficient and you know they would just wanted to be part of a group that was aiming for something so mm. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't phase me at, at that
1: yeah. time. Well, I guess working with actual adults instead of yeah. kids at yeah. university <laughs> yeah, is yeah, different. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hundred yeah, yeah.
2: percent. Yeah, the the age old thing of isn't it that um, you have to teach men how to how to you know be technically skillful and, yeah. and how to pull hard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the men wear this year and you think that's really. I remember thinking as an athlete, thinking, "Oh, that's a bit, you know, it's a bit black and white. It's not really like that." Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. start getting okay, like every boy <laughs> wants to rip the handle off. <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. all the girls are just thinking about getting it perfect,
0: yeah. and you're yeah. like, yeah can't stick it in Um, yeah yeah i don't know i definitely say like as like the longer i coach the more i would say that like you know i guess i I guess like with the development of like club rowing i think you know the the standard of like the physiology of women at the club level now is like basically what was good enough to get you in the under 23 team like even like five or six years before and i think Mm -hmm. that was probably too much of like uh like myth that was perpetuated of just being like women don't want to try hard and men want to try too hard. And i say like, okay, def- I'd say there's probably more truth in like the men's side of that that argument. But I think like, it's just... like what I really liked about coaching women is this like, this is probably like obviously a, a generalization, yeah. but like women in my experience really wanted to know like the details yeah. of like why, why are we doing this? Yeah. Whereas like what I found with coaching men that like, Quite often they don't want to know any details. Yeah. They don't even want to listen to the most basic details that you've given them, and they just want to pull as hard as possible. Which yeah. is like definitely, yeah, yeah, you got to kind of like rein that in.
1: I, I guess you could say that women are more technically malleable, yeah, in, the, in that regard. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, and
0: I, I think as well, like the because of the way that rowing has been in the past ten years of this country, that like clubs haven't been investing as much into the women's side of rowing so actually like okay you could say women are more technically malleable but that, I would also argue that maybe they haven't had the same standard of coaching as men of the equivalent age and experience mm. would have had and yeah, I think, like, yeah that's been a that's been a huge change now I think like it's no coincidence that women's rowing at like club or university level in this country has like gone has like taken such a huge leap forward yeah, and yeah. I think it's just like it just comes from what's happening behind the scenes because those Clubs that weren't investing in like equipment and training programming and, and coaching for women now are doing that, and yeah, so yeah. Some I think you know, as it is, it's not it's not happened by accident, yeah, yeah. I, it I, I agree with
2: does isn't it? You know, like with Britain's been winning gold since 84 with the men, yeah, and, and the women was what was it, oh, oh, four or 2000 yeah. was there for the first quad, uh, 2000 you, or 04. yeah, yeah. I think I think both, I think yeah. 2000 and then 04, and then 08, they got silver again, but yeah, like. 20, it's like that 20 year lag yeah. like, trying to catch up mm-hmm.
1: like, and yeah. it's, it's getting squashed down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with you. And when I mean malleable, I mean it's just they're more adaptable or susceptible yeah. to yeah. making technical changes yeah, and improvements yeah, yeah, yeah. versus men will just be like, whatever.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. You obviously also
2: have both. Like you also have some girls who just want to rip the handle off it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have some guys who really, really like it's It's not, it's not black and white. Massive yeah. generalization yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's this it's, it's with sometimes, you know, like, uh, stereotypes exist for a reason i think it can be helpful sometimes to know that yeah and then when you're out with the men's crew you can try and spend a little bit more time with yeah the detail and things like that it's not necessarily a bad thing
0: to yeah, yeah. as long as you it's you also like to, the position that people get put in like if you just get put in position in training on a day-to-day basis where you're just like beat the other crew and yeah. that's all the training is today then it's like well you're probably not going to be thinking that technically
2: yeah it's interesting <laughs> when you said about your wife i win about the selection period was really short yeah I spoke to a lot of athletes um this is some of the toughest times in their career was when selection period was dragged on. Yeah. Um, especially for like even Coxes as well, because you actually row and think and act in a different way mm-hmm. to get selected than you do when you're then trying to win. It's like this yeah. thing, isn't yeah, it? It's a yeah. competition, everyone you're with, what you say, how you act, yeah. all those things are different. So yeah. um yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Like, I think getting in a crew as early as possible, obviously, like yeah. having maximum time in it, not being not being in this like super high stress environment.
0: Oh yeah, 100%. And the way I was looking at it with selection is like, once you've made the selection, that first day you get in that crew, that's the slowest that crew is ever going to be. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like you can get so bogged down with trying to select the crew that you forget you're actually trying to develop that crew for the race that's like yeah. down the line. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like that. But it's hard as a coach as well, you know,
2: especially like in squads we've run where it's, you, be, you you like right? Well, I've got an athlete that's been rowing for four years. They're maybe not very powerful, not very strong, but they row very well. And then I've got this other one who's coming up this year. That's really coming up. Yeah, you know, and the race is in two months. And so like, yeah, do yeah, I? Yeah, it's worth giving them the do, yeah. Do yeah. I? Do I select? You know, if even they're if they're level now, do I go with the one I think is going up higher? Yeah. I do. A, give it to the person it just doesn't always it's never like an easy just like straightforward oh yeah there you go
0: that's the way to do it and it's justifying it to the athletes as well because sometimes it's like it's hard to say like you've done everything you can but i'm still going to put this other person in because i believe that as you said like in a month or in two months that they will be better than you and also taking into account stuff like well how how do these personalities of these humans and this boat work together because for me I'd say like that is the biggest limiting factor for how far a crew can go yeah because if you've got you know if you if you got a tight selection decision and you're going to put someone in who you know is going to kind of rub people up the wrong way or kind of rose a bit differently to everybody else and it's like okay well sometimes you have to make make those decisions but yeah how 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 you work as a team I think is like is really determines how far you're going to get yeah I think that's definitely a difficult thing in coaching where the fastest four
1: individual athletes on yeah. paper don't always make the fastest no. four or quad or yeah. you know, boat yeah yeah so w- when working with like under 23 athletes which is what something that you've done for the for the last few years yeah in the short period of time that you have available how do you make the most out of the crew and what are some of like the either mindset or, or drills that you try to instill in your athletes in order for them to maximize their performance
0: yeah well, i think like the main thing i try and like get laid out from day one is that like it's supposed to be fun because i feel like people come from because uh, a lot of the guys i've coached come from these like big u.s programs where it's like super competitive and like everything is done to like to maximum intensity all the time and which is sometimes like take some of the enjoyment out of it so like main thing is like it's it's supposed to be fun and we're all here to enjoy it because like if you like their athletic ability is not a question because like if you weren't a good athlete you wouldn't be here we wouldn't be doing this project um and then the second thing I'll do is just like I guess try and collaborate with the athletes to work out like where are we right now? So say if I'm putting a quad together, I don't go in and be like, this is how you row a quad. We go in and be like, okay, let's have a look at it for two sessions and be like, Okay, well, here's two things that you all already do the same. So let's try and reinforce mm-hmm. those good bits because you're already doing that. And here's two things that we need to do better as a crew. And I usually like like try and actually write that down of like here's our aims and here's what we're already doing so it's like we're gonna we're gonna reinforce the good stuff and we're just gonna focus on two things that we need to do better and once we can do those two things better we'll move on to the next thing but if we also if we never get past the first two that's also completely fine like we just want to i guess i try and like set out a pathway um the other thing i'll do like maybe if it's before the selection is to say for example this year i had a little bit longer with the cruiser i had like a wider sculling group before we selected an actual quad so we just spent <coughs> um a six day period where we said so the first two days we're just going to focus on the front end so the blade entry and how we pick the boat up the next two days we're going to focus on the dry phase and then the third we're going to focus on the finish and the recovery and just say like when we're focusing on the front end i don't want you to think about like i don't want to come off and be like oh the boat was off at the finish but like i just forget the finish even exists so just try and like build like build the stroke up like the the profile of like the drive and then the recovery just like do it one one section at mm-hmm. a time because i feel like rowing can be so complicated but equally it's only complicated it if you make it that way yeah, yeah and if you can just try and simplify it and just focus on like one thing at a time have a plan to build it up is actually yeah, yeah it's amazing what you can achieve over like
1: six sessions over over two days there, there's there can be so many things that you, you can like focus on like mm. o- almost unlimited so i i, I yeah. definitely feel like having that laser focus will yeah then you bring benefits
2: yeah that's the skill is to look at a crew and be like right there's these things that they could improve but mm. i've got three weeks so. yeah yeah we're not, we can't go back to basics on these yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, things yeah, yeah. we can't. We've done times of reinvent the wheel. Yeah, yeah that kind yeah. of thing. And um, it's funny, I've had a couple of projects I've done when the first session I've been really quiet and uh, mm. they've been like, oh, you, you haven't said anything. You're going to yeah. say anything. Like, yeah. I can't watch 10 strokes and then just start coaching yeah. you. Like, I want to, <laughs> yeah. I need to like see, I need to spend a bit of time thinking about yeah. what, like these things, like what could we work on? What do we have enough time? What don't we have enough time for? Yeah. I think it's hey, I think if your coach just like
0: rocks on the bank and starts shouting at you, yeah, things, it's like, yeah. It's like Uh, give it a minute (laughs) yeah well I say like for me the longer I've coached the less the fewer words I use for sure I just try and make everything I say as concise as I possibly can I think
2: it's yeah something again when I was coaching you know it's like Oh, and also, I've remembered, like, don't forget to do that. And, like, especially yeah. like when they're getting ready. And don't forget to tighten your gates and make <laughs> yeah, sure when you yeah. understand. And then you're like, I'm just doing this for me. Like, yeah. I'm doing this because I'm stressed. And actually, I'm just confusing them. Yeah. Um, and, like you said, like, if you're working with under 23s and yeah. you're working with fantastic athletes. So, yeah. well,
0: that's the skill with coaching. Well, not even coaching, just like teaching anything is like, can you make something really complicated seem incredibly simple? And can you get somebody to understand it in one second? Because if you can do that, you're going to get way further than if you're spending like, you know, like Brian, you to have this phrase you say all the time of like, oh, they must be getting paid by the word. Because you'd hear people out <laughs> on the sideway and it's like, they're doing like a 90 <laughs> second monologue at this yeah. crew. And it's like, even even the, the 30 seconds you hear them, you're just like, how, how are they going to understand yeah. anything that you're trying to say at this <laughs> point?
2: We got coached by Brian in the summer of 2012. I was in the, the European eight mm. and, and all the other coaches disappeared off. So we, we were driving home to you and getting coached for a couple of weeks. He said, yeah, I like him. Mm. He's a good lad. I'm back. Lad. He's, old. <laughs> uh, he's a good bloke. Um, I also remember not long after that, I sort of bumped him and he said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm finishing coaching or something. I And then I was like, you never get away. And then the <laughs> next thing I hear is back doing all the 23 stuff. And I was like, oh, there you go. <laughs> Brian's back. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's yeah the skill and the confidence to mm. say less. Yeah, we said like even like you said like if you're that person, you're the bow seat or you're making the calls or you're the cox. Mm. It's it's very you haven't got a lot of confidence to say quiet for a long time. Yeah, and it's something we said when we spoke to Jack. There was one thing that they they did the best or pre worlds training camp. They were just like, right, everyone, shut up. Yeah, shut up. Yeah. We're just going to write. We just need to write. Just we're not going to talk about it we're not going to do it. we're just going to get the miles in Yeah, to have the confidence just focus on it and not be like
0: oh I felt this oh that yeah because yeah, yeah. there'll always be something to improve yeah but there's there's, all, there's probably be 10 more things that you're already doing really well so it's just like yeah. why focus on the one bad thing okay like yeah it does need to improve but you know I'm sure we've all been in cruise where it's like you're rowing along and be like oh it's down on it's, you're picking one tiny little detail but it's like is that actually slowing us down and it's like, we're doing 10 other things really well. Why don't we just say, let's try and do that, other, you know. Try and I, like that the, little bit I
2: like better. the one when you're spinning an eight and uh, seven or two around it's probably down on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> and then two seats going. it's down on stroke yeah. side. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is this boat <laughs> twisted? What's going, <laughs> what's going
1: on here? It must be. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> it can't be yeah. down on both sides. I think, we, it we're, I think it all comes down to just like having that mindset of just being like, well, if you're trying to improve something, it doesn't have to be the rowing. It could be just like the like where teamwork. was like, okay, there's... Just focus on what you can improve and reinforce that. And if if you just keep, like anything in life, you just keep focusing on the negatives, and it's much harder to move forward with anything. Because mm-hmm. I had that with kind of the under 23s, under 23 group this year. And it was like, we come off and of me like, oh, well, this thing wasn't perfect. It's like, well, it's never, there's probably never going to be perfect. But here's, you know, we got better, you know, the speeds are better, we were more consistent, we we're more consistent on the rate. The boat was flowing, like, here's 10 other things that we did do better, but you're still focusing on the one thing that didn't improve. It's
1: not a good mindset to have in a team. I love that because you want your athletes to finish a session and feel positive about the, yeah. the improvements that they've made, and not berate themselves for yeah. for the two things that are still, yeah. you know, somewhere on the to do list in the in the next few sessions. Exactly, yeah. Where well, you I can do you said. can do the shit sandwich, which works quite well. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's so
2: funny how much even even when you know someone's doing it to you, you're just so much more receptive yeah. to, the, to the negative feedback when you've been given something positive first. Yeah. Um. But also, yeah, you're like, I think I think it's. Uh, you can sort of feel like oh you know i'm not taking this seriously if unless i'm you know like, put thinking about everything and trying to get yeah. and all the rest of it and then you're right you can just push this kind of negative thing when like every positive thing's just forgotten about yeah and it's just the negative things that get said yeah and, uh, i think the other thing is you need to understand that like you know we have spoke with some people like al sinclair was saying it, it was sort of 500 into his rio final and the water's really rough and he was thinking oh this is, shit. This is- and then go actually But this is it. Yeah. This this is this is the final now, and it doesn't matter if it's rough, and it doesn't matter if it's not perfect. Like I need to do the best job I can do now. Yeah. And so, no worrying about trying to
0: again make it perfect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Good enough is okay sometimes.
2: What was it? Perfection is the enemy of pro. Really. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But then the other one. What was? What was the other one? What was was the one one you said before? Uh, Good enough isn't. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which like there's like a the little voice inside of me is like oh i love that and but then like the kind of the more mature athlete coaching me is like well oh, that's also a bit dangerous yeah it's like a young kid gets hold of a little phrase like that and all of a sudden um i can't remember what the other one we used to, we used to use good is the enemy of great yeah, yeah. Mm. good is the enemy of great or good isn't good enough you yeah. know those all those kind of things but um I think ultimately as well. And I, when I start coaching, we used to talk about something's going to go wrong. Something's yeah. going to go wrong. Um, and if you're the, you know, the crew that does the best will probably be the crew that deals best with the things that go wrong. Yeah. You know, you're all going to row your your good strokes good, but the crew has a has a bow stopper and then forgets about it and gets on with it mm. or comes back from the crab. Like yeah. those are kind of almost the things you can focus on more in terms of like. Not letting the bad stuff get in your head. Yeah. Whereas if you're pursuing perfection and you have one bad stroke and you spend the next 15 strokes, yeah. oh, God, oh, I hated <laughs> it. Oh, it's such a bad stroke. <laughs> well, now you've ruined <laughs> 15 more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: I think when you're in a performance situation, you've got to have, you just got to have like a short term memory, basically. Like if it's, if you, something goes badly, keep doing what you're doing. If it goes well, keep doing what you're doing. And like, it's the same either way. One stroke at a time.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a simple flowchart. Yeah,
2: yeah. So obviously, um, been pretty successful as a coach with the under twenty I s. I've four four gold medals. Yeah. Um, like, like you said, in a time when when it's been going well for GB. But but that being said, um, I think that can give a, like a fake sort of thought or or you know it can it can make it seem easier than it is. Yeah. I think whether, whether we have or haven't been winning lots of medals, it doesn't make any any medal easy to win. Yeah. Was there a lot? Did your coaching progress a lot through that? Did you learn, you know, in terms of being in high-performance environments, stuff like that? Not not that Tideway Scholars wasn't, mm. but, you know, that kind of step up. How was that as a coach?
0: I think it was what I loved about the environment, or still love about the environment at Cabersham is that, like, everything there is set up for you to perform. Mm. And as it's just, like, you're not really at the under 23 level, like you're not left wanting for anything. And I think what was great for me, again, again, comes down to just like take seeing the opportunity in those situations. Is like, I'll do the entire season where I've got to manage loads of people. I've got to drive the trailer. I've got to do all the logistics. And then I turn up at Camisham for under 23s and they're like, all, I, all we want you to do is coach this one boat and we will take care of everything else. So like it's, amazing to make that step up where you think like, okay, now all I have to do is this one job. I don't have to do these 10 other things. Mm. Um but in terms of the environment, like I got huge value from just like being around the other coaches. So sometimes you'd follow them, but you know, I learned so much from just like the coaches meetings or like how we review the data together or how we look at the kind of like feedback from the biomech, how you talk about like how do you pace the sessions and say so, like if you do four 2ks like you know making sure you get faster through each one keep hitting the percentages you're supposed to hit um also having pete shepherd in charge he's like a perfect mix of like being really supportive but also allowing you to kind of like learn for yourself or make your own mistakes and for me like that was like game-changing i've been you know because this come into this environment especially that first year of like Right. well i've been trying to get to world championships for 10 years and now i'm finally going so and it, it is kind of like i expected it to be like i'm going to be micromanaged and like make sure every box is being ticked but it wasn't like that at all It's just kind of like well we think you've done a good job with these crews at highway discover. so now we're gonna allow you to do that same job with this the double which i had in the first year and i think like for me that was amazing because it's like you know, as we talked about earlier, but like, well, if this goes well, that's great. But if it doesn't go well, that's like, this is also entirely on me. <laughs> um, so I think just, yeah, have it, having, the, having the opportunity and just like, um, having access to good equipment and just, yeah, just, just that environment is, is, is perfect basically. Like I've said a few times, like I almost wished I hadn't done it because now because as soon as I started with the under 23 team, I'd be like, well, now I've seen like the pinnacle of like this whole, like, really well funded system is there to produce th- these rowers and coaches and boats that are going to win medals and everything is set up to support that. So, so then it's almost like sometimes you go back to a club or go back to like coaching someone one on one and it's like a bit of a crash back down to earth of like, okay, now we don't have millions of pounds and now we don't have our own private lake and we don't have all this great equipment, and, yeah. you know you know now these people have got to go to work and they can't just train three times a day and spend the rest of the day recovering um so yeah it's 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 an amazing environment and team to be to be a part of for sure but then is that also like the challenge isn't it like when it's not all perfect like, yeah ah,
2: okay now about how can i sort of maximize performance yeah when the environment isn't perfect yeah yeah 100%. yeah and then so with your own coaching did you start yeah. that while you were still coaching at scullers or is that quite new
0: um with the business yeah Yeah, so yeah that's something i've um decided to do so after i left time scholars i was kind of i wasn't sure about what i was going to do at that point if i wanted to go back to full-time coaching or i wanted to kind of do something else i think i basically got to the point where i was like well i've done i feel like i've done everything i can with the time and resources i have available but as the years went on I got into a situation which is definitely not healthy of like well how successful we are as a club and as a squad is like directly proportionate to how hard I work mm. and I was kind of like well this is only gonna get worse um for me personally so kind of like stepped away from that environment and then I was kind of like well do I want to go back to a full-time role or do I want to do something else completely um so I looked at kind of changing careers but to be honest, the thought of starting something else like right at the bottom was like so unappealing. Mm. Um, so they kind of looked at it in a different way of like, well, I have some decent knowledge and some skills, so then it's like, well, how can I actually apply that in a different way? Um, and I think because just from I'd always tried to like share like knowledge and I guess like more like behind the scenes stuff of coaching when I was still at Clarkway Scholars, and that was like very well received a lot of people would engage with that so i feel like i felt at that time like well here's another route i could go down because it still ticks the box for me of like i'm able to help people but now i can like do it on my own terms i can pick when i work and when i don't work and actually like i can get paid by the hour for it rather than getting kind of um salaried um and then since i've started that i mean i know you kind of said this before we started it's now when people ask me what I do, it's kind of hard to put my finger on exactly what that is because now I'm just in a situation where it's like, it's almost like what does the client need? Like if someone comes to me and be like, I want to get better at rowing, obviously I can help with that. But I have other coaches that come to me and be like, I want to learn how to coach better. I want to learn how to, I want to learn more about rigging a boat. I want to learn more about like, what instrumentation can I use for like measuring rowing performance? And then naturally because I'd done... Because um, I started doing CrossFit myself, and obviously CrossFit used a lot of the Concept Two machines, and that was like another avenue of well, like, I can now offer seminars to these people to help them get better at rowing, like learn about physiology and, and like use all of these different machines. So it kind of like just by making that switch, kind of like opened up like a whole different world of opportunities, and I guess like the the ability to work with people one on one yeah. on on like their own like very individual terms and i am now in a situation where i have all these one-to-one clients and like not one of them has the same goals and not one of them is doing the same schedule so it's like it's really it's a really good situation to be like well i'm just helping you improve the process of training like in your own lifestyle and in your own environment whereas before i was trying to come up with a program that's trying to work for 80 people at the same time which is like basically impossible so i think i found from a lot of coaches especially
2: me like your first job will be as an assistant so yeah leander is a a coach and uh, it's like i'm not writing the program i don't have any responsibility i just go out and coach and yeah that's fun that's the fun bit and then you get a head coach position and then all of a sudden you're looking after a bit more and a bit more Mm -hmm. and then i did take on the the full team and then you're like (laughs) hang on this bit that I love doing. I'm doing a lot of that. Yeah. Like fixing launches and yeah, rigging yeah. boats and training programs and all this other stuff. I'm, like, I'm not really doing this thing that I like doing. And I it seems to be the benefit. I mean, we spoke to Jack Burns before. I'm like, it's like you get to do all the cool bits, mm. but you don't have to drive a trailer yeah. anywhere. <laughs> and you don't have to deal, you don't have to fight fires with arguments between whose squad using yeah, which yeah, boat. Yeah, and yeah, none yeah. of that happens. You get to just focus on the bit that's the fun bit, I think. Yeah.
1: I can see the real appeal to that. Yeah. Hundred percent. Plus, it's because it's working with like people with all those different goals. It must be like an exciting new challenge for you.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So with with everyone I work with, I kind of have like a two week onboarding process, and that's like me working out what they want, and like I guess a lot of time is them really working out what they need from me, and kind of like we can do this testing and have these conversations, and then it's like I guess like coming up with a completely different plan for each person. As you said, is like the really fun bit because most of the people i'm now coaching are not you know they're not trying to get to the olympics they're just trying to train like in a sustainable way around like work and having young kids and like okay some people are aiming at at trials but it's it's amazing like how much more you can achieve where it's almost like you flip it on its head and be like well what how much time do you have available and what is your schedule like and i will build you a program around that whereas like in a club system you're like training at this time yeah. and you have to be here and if you're not here you're gonna have to do it on your own and mm-hmm. i'm like you know i don't have the time to come down where you want to trade at a different time can be pretty unforgiving yeah yeah exactly yeah and that, you know, that's something i always struggled with when i was running a squad of just been like you know there's people they like, be like okay i see that this isn't working for you and i'll try and help you as best i can but ultimately like you can't give 40, 50 people, an individualized training program and a, and a one-to-one meeting every single week because there's just not enough, you know. I think also the programs in, in the day. Like I think it was Tim, was it? Um, yeah, I think it
2: was Tim who was saying, you know, if you if you coach an international athlete mm. and they go, three seconds faster in a year It's yeah. amazing yeah and if you're coaching someone at the start and and they you know they can take 30 seconds off their yeah. tk there's like <laughs> so much higher progress it's like a lot easier to see a lot easier to manage and mark as you go through and yeah. it's a lot more rewarding i think to see yeah. like a bigger change not that it's also at the other end but like yeah it's just more manageable yeah and more i think maybe enjoyable yeah definitely yeah, obviously yeah. the higher you get up in and whatever you do the, the
1: smaller the amount of enjoyment becomes and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you have to focus on the, the hard bits. playing with a different level of margins and yeah kind of yeah. thing so how much would you say data plays uh, how much of a role does data play in your training that you do now versus like when you were coaching rowing um for my own training or that i'm like prescribing to other people yeah both i guess
0: um so yeah it's uh i'd say like as an athlete i definitely learned why data was important as i went through like i remember i was having this conversation with someone yesterday actually that like when i first started out like my ut2 ut1 and like half hour split were like all basically the same (laughs) (laughs) every time i got on an erg i was just like right i'm just gonna pull as hard as i can at this rate yeah (laughs) and you know i had a so i guess like you know and even at the time like my coach was saying like hey why don't you slow down a bit and it's like hey look we've got this lactates done like yours is supposed to be two millimoles and it's like five and a half oh like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like maybe you should just like slow down a little bit and i'm like no no i know best but um but yeah you definitely like learn those lessons of like why training why like a certain volume a certain intensity is like how it all works in the bigger picture of like creating an effective training program mm-hmm. um but yeah, I've definitely become a lot more data driven. I said like I definitely since I started coaching and I think like the chance to work with people like one one to one is is much better because i the like, so say with all my clients now like on a daily basis monitoring like their resting heart rate, their body weight, their sleep quality, like they'll do sessions where they're just going off heart rate with the screen covered and then you kind of get like one metric and then we'll do another session obviously where we'll just have a target split range and then you'll see the heart rate for that and just yeah definitely hugely more data-driven these days and mm-hmm. I think like it's very easy to see the benefits when you come to like the real performance of like the 30 minute rate 20 or the 2k and actually just like having done everything in the right zone like not accumulated too much fatigue when you don't need to like mm-hmm. Doing your easy days easy and your and your kind of harder days harder. It's like it's just 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 comes from experience. It makes you know? sense. Yeah, things so like seeing how that works together.
2: The speed that you can change things as well. Like in the team, you went on on to try free camp or seen the senior team. You know, if you're not if you're feeling a bit off, you go and see the team doctor. It's like okay, well, what was what was your. uh, uh, you know how hydrated were you this morning mm. on your little pot of wee, and yeah. like uh, what were your markers for your sleep? What were your markers for you know how you're feeling? Mm. If you've got an injury, like how are your markers for your stretching, your signaling stuff? Yeah, There's yeah, just yeah. like straight away you can make changes really fast. Yeah. Just like so it's, it's sort of like obviously it's similar with like I don't know if you're accounting, you know, if you if you if you've got a small business and you cash up every single day, and then you know, on, and you've got the data from mm. every day, then you know when things are changing. Because yeah. if you're only doing it once every two or three months. Yeah. yeah it could you can. you can. Only go two months later you're, oh, i'm absolutely binned yeah it's like oh well you know we could have done something about this a month ago but yeah. we weren't like staying on top of it so for me i think some of that data is just like the speed yeah. that you're able to make changes whether for, for better or Oh uh, yeah 100%. yeah
0: i think like so many people in rowing don't realize like how much faster they could get by just ticking all the boxes that aren't actually training mm. like i did a post about this the other day of just being, oh, like ticking the boxes but also i think like their fulfillment in the sport could be so much higher because you know if you say if you do a 2k test every three months and you as kind of alluding to what you were just say like if you have a bad test then if all you're judging you by is that 2k result then you basically say like that th- whole three months up to this test i've now put a massive cross yeah. by yeah but if you can measure things like you know like has your ut2 improved has your resting heart rate come down are you enjoying training like there's so many other things that you can measure and that you could actually focus on that would make you a better athlete. But I think we get, we're so bad in, in rowing in particular, of just getting like so bogged down by like 2K performance, half hour performance. Yeah. And then you just, it, you almost put too much weight on it. And mm-hmm. there's thousands of other metrics you can use to demonstrate that you've got better. And actually, if you kind of flip it the other way, try and improve all those little metrics along the way, then the 2K and the half hour, the 5K will be, will take care of itself, basically. Yeah. 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 And I think like so many and, and again, that's that's part of the reason I'm doing what I do now is that like I've just have so many conversations with people where they just don't know about this stuff. Yeah. And actually like, you know, if you've got a coach who at a club who doesn't have, have an interest in physio they might be a great coach, like technical coach, but they don't have an interest in physiology. They don't have any sort of background in the performance environment. They haven't worked with the team. I guess more importantly, like they don't want to know about that stuff. Then, then as an athlete, that like, you've then got no, you've got no chance basically of knowing that stuff because yeah. you take every, th- you you basically take everything that this person says as gospel. But they don't know what they don't know. Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't even know they're missing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it, I don't... and it's not it's not hard to find that stuff out. But it's like. It's it's only once you start to see the importance of it that you realise like how much difference it actually mm-hmm. makes.
2: It's still like God's the point there's almost too much you sometimes are having to wade through a lot of yeah, you know, oh someone said this or something. Yeah. Like I found compared to when I rode my like you said, when I rode, you could watch the last ten strokes on a row road, road, yeah, yeah, road, yeah, yeah. road T V of Henley. Um, and you can watch some Olympic finals and that was about it whereas now I, you know some of my athletes when I was coaching were just oh I found this video of this so and so and I've yeah. just been watching it religiously and they do this and they do yeah. yeah but you know you're a novice yeah <laughs> College rower, and they're an Olympic lightweight double sculler. Like, <laughs> it's a bit. You've different. never held two blades in your entire life. Yeah. Um, the other thing I like to do: I have a couple of athletes. You know, when they release that like, oh, again getting, Tom, Tom, I want to like give me some things that I could do better. Like, what I, I need to do? Like, give me five things I could do better, or ten things I can better. I'll give you ten things. They've got nothing to do with wreck. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, like we're already like if you're listening to what I'm telling you, like we're doing well on the water. But like, well, how are you sleeping? Like, what's your nutrition like? What you know are you stretching every day like are you drinking enough water are you having measures are you are you like taking your heart rate and recording it every morning and things like that like such other things like just goes around the outside of it like you said all these little things add up to so much more than just mm. having a five mil lactate yeah yeah, yeah. Too. yeah like yeah. it's like, it's not always and I think we've again maybe talked about this but uh as an athlete you can always feel like the hardest thing is working as hard as you can. Yeah. And actually, I think it's a lot harder to not do that yeah, because you're like, no, no, I'm working my absolute hardest. Yeah. I'm maxing out every session. Like, no, no, you need to back off. Yeah. And even if like you feel you could do more, do this at UT2, like yeah, actually yeah, doing that. And as an athlete, you, oh, I want to
0: <laughs> go, I want to go, like <laughs> calm it down. Yeah. That can be like a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Well, I really like that phrase of like discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that like really applies to UT2. Like, well, if you want that big 2K, you've got to have the discipline to go slower on your UT2 and then you go a little bit harder, but not still too hard on your UT1. So then when it comes to your like prep pieces or your like threshold pieces like then you can attack them with the right intensity Mm. and then if you get you know if you can build like weeks and months training in that way it just it just means that when you get to your 2k performance you're going to be in the best shape possible to do it because like you're going to build the aerobic base in the right way so there's like when you get to that third 500 you're not going to be like oh now now my legs are like feel like they're on fire because i've never done any real aerobic training i've just been going flat out for the last three months
1: absolutely why would you do a profile on all of the athletes and then not utilize that data yeah like if this is what your UT2 is supposed to be don't just ignore it and just go as hard as you can so
2: so another thing i remember just got told we we used to talk about a long time ago i think it's maybe john collins that first spoke about it and if anyone i'm no doctor so i don't know that I was sort of told, like, a lot of the low UT2 stuff is about building, like, new capillary, like, mm. new blood roots into the new muscle. Yeah. Um, and one thing we would do a lot, obviously, okay, you do your first 50 minutes at mm. UT2, and then you try and blast the last 10 minutes in. Yeah. And if you do that, all these very brand-new little blood roots then get yeah. pumped for and actually, oh, yeah. like, burst again. And you, have like, undo the work. Yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah they, no, it they, makes yeah, sense. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So then, just something as simple as just being, oh, last five minutes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you're,
0: you're you're ruining it. You're yeah. ruining all the work that you've done. Yeah, but again, it just comes down to education, doesn't yeah. it? Because like, if you if you, you know, I, I come across this a lot in rowing, and I still do it myself. Like, okay, I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to say it and say like I'm a physiologist and I don't know the like the finer details of kind of what we have just been talking about yeah. there. But I think just like you know, if you if you know a lot about something, it's easier to get that across to somebody. I feel like a lot of the time in rowing, people are just like perpetuating something that some advice that they heard five years ago and yeah. their coach heard it 10 years ago. Yeah. And like, you know, I get, you know, have a lot of conversations with people, like some uh, arguments, like a lot of people like will argue about what I've posted on Instagram. And I'll, and I'll always be like, okay, we'll explain it. Like what's the theory? Like what's the science behind it? And like, it's amazing how many people are just saying like, you should do this. And then you say why? And they're like, Oh, well, I don't like. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just do it because 10 people told me you should yeah, do it. And, it, yeah. and I say, like, we're really bad as a sport in rowing. I've just been like, we never question why. Mm-hmm. Or we don't want to know enough about why. We just want to keep doing it because that's that's how it's always been done.
1: Okay. So how do you stay on top then? Of? Of, 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 of new developments, of new ways of doing things, challenging the old? Just got to, well, I think it just, well, instead of challenging the old, it's like
0: you just Service as you look at anything like is there a better way of doing this or is there a different way of doing it and like i think earlier in the season is the chance to kind of try those things out and be like okay well this is how we've done it for the past two years like you got to look at look at it in terms of risk versus reward and think well we could take a risk and it would be better or we could keep doing the same thing and it would be the same mm-hmm. so then really if you look at it that way there's there is no risk um but in terms of staying on top of it it's just like you know it's you it's that old phrase of like in any sport you've basically got to be a student of the sport. Like if you're not if you're not looking at what the latest developments are, or not even developments, it's like, well, who's who's got a new theory? Like who's rigging their boat in a different way? Like who's training in a different way? And as soon as like if you take the Dutch team, for example, this year at the World Championships, like, okay, well, from what I understand, they're doing a higher volume than the British team, but at a lower intensity. They're doing all of their erg work on rp3 rather than concept 2 and then they're rowing in this kind of like much more fluid relaxed style that's like a lot less segmented than the way like the british team row for example so then like that's a really clear example of like well how have they gone from where they were four years ago to where Mm -hmm. they are now where they're topping the medal table at the world championships so it's like someone in that environment has obviously come in and be like right we're going to try and we're going to try and do something different basically
2: yeah like standing still is going backwards
0: yeah exactly yeah, yeah. the waves always always moving but, on yeah but moving up the rowing worlds I feel like sometimes in rowing like standing still you can kind of kind of get away with it although I do think I think things are definitely moving forward now like more There's in the couple of years yeah I agree with you in terms of like
2: um technically how to row a boat I think you can make it too complicated and yeah. those things are actually the, sometimes the more simple you can keep it the better but then you you make the other stuff complicated your physiology your feedback and all your food and Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff you can sort of get far more into but um it's also difficult when you're winning to make changes it's always a super scary thing to do yeah it's like a fear with with how well Britain's been doing for me Mm. is that oh is the whole world gonna gonna move on yeah we're just stuck doing something different but obviously like from this world it's pretty cool to see yeah i'm like from under 23s and, and from senior worlds and juniors as well yeah. just like absolutely yeah, phenomenal you yeah. boatload of medals coming yeah. around yeah well um,
0: i listened to a podcast a while ago um uh, toto wolf is the head of the mercedes yeah. team he was on the high performance podcast and he kind of said something really interesting that the reason they were so successful is he was saying before like nobody ever says why did we win he said if you lose you go straight back to the drawing board and be like oh what can we do better but he said that normally if you win it's like great we won it's like job done yeah let's all go out and celebrate and he said one of the reasons he thought that that mercedes team had been so successful was that it was like okay we won but why did that happen and still like what can we do better and i think like that that's what makes like elite teams have like a sustainable run of success is like as you said like you can't stand still like winning isn't good enough because as soon as you've won once then you've then got the target on your back and everyone's trying to beat you so like you've got to work hard to stay ahead of the game I absolutely love that and
2: I've always said that like you kind of win to forget like the the, this weird you know like even I got to a high level but for me like the pleasure of winning was like Mm. I I don't now have to dissect that in my head for the next six months. Mm. Every time I go to bed and close my eyes, yeah. like, what could I have done better? And then, yeah. like, the willing was like, oh, we, we, we did it. Yeah. We did the job. Assuming that you won in the way you want it, you win it to, you know, yeah. sometimes maybe if you didn't win by as much, or there's a, there's a plan further down the line. Yeah. But in terms of sort of winning Henley, when I did, it was just like, oh, I don't, yeah. my, my head isn't going to beat me up for it. Yeah. But like I said, like, even then, that next level, it's like, okay, but still, can you go back? And what could you have done better?
1: It just yeah. all comes down to, like, pushing boundaries and, and yeah. how, how how fast you want to you wanna yeah. improve. Yeah. I think in rowing,
0: there's, like, there's
1: not... I feel like
0: the boundaries are harder to be pushed because the sport, on the whole, is, like, so binary. Like, it's not like football, where you can, like, try a different strategy or a different yeah. formation. It's, yeah. like, really, it's kind of like, well, how, yeah, how do you get this piece of carbon to go fastest from A to B? And it's, like... As much as you can change, like the basics are always going to be like be set, like row long strokes, moves together. So it's like there's not. I feel like it. There's not as much scope to you know. There's never going to be like a a Fosbury flop of like you're never just going to change the game completely. Be like I've come up with this completely new stroke and now we're gonna we're now gonna beat everyone by miles. Yeah, I think that's like the exciting thing about rowing is actually like the. The way it can be different, everyone is doing it slightly differently. And I think it's cool to see, like, a world championship final where it's, like, you've yeah. got six crews. It's probably more apparent in the singles, obviously, where it's, like, all these people have rowed and trained in a completely different way. And now everyone is, like, within two seconds. Yeah, so it's right. just, like, it makes you think, like, there really isn't, like, a magic formula. Yeah. And actually, so much of it is just, like, do we believe... Does everyone in this team and this process believe that this is the best way of doing things? Yeah. And if you, if everyone says yes, I think that's how you're going to get towards having like the most success possible. Because as soon as you're asking questions of like, is this the right training? Is this the right way to row? Are these the right people I want to be in a boat with? Like, yeah. As soon as you've got those doubts creeping into your mind, then it's just gonna it's gonna limit your like how far you could get.
1: Okay, so here comes a question. Yeah. Do you then believe in fitness over technique? Um, I would say it's 50, 50 for me. Yeah.
0: Although, um, cause yeah, it's a good I- question. So the way, the way I would like look at it is think like, if you think of like fitness level and efficiency level as like a bar, like if your efficiency level is really high and your power drops a little bit, mm-hmm. you're probably still going to keep quite good boat speeds. But if your power is really high. And your efficiency level drops, then I'd say like that's when your like boat speed is gonna fall off a cliff. Okay. So yeah, I yeah. think yeah, I would probably say like yeah, okay, technique is still the most important factor, but it's got to be backed up equally by physiology. Yeah. Like a fish, there's a there's a minimum a level of efficiency.
2: Yeah. Efficiency can only drop a small amount. Power yeah. could drop more if you're still efficient. Yeah.
0: So I'd say like you just going back to using the Dutch team, I think they're a good example of this year at the worlds. Like what was the worst result that anyone in their team got? I think it was like a fourth? Fourth place. Wow. So I, I I have to check it, but like I don't recall seeing many boats lower than that. And I think then that's like the test of then like, well, if they're all rowing at this really efficient level, then is that boat that came fourth just the one with the worst physiology of, of the team? Mm-hmm. And actually, then if you look at some other nations that maybe had some people that were like really strong, but not that efficient, then they're going to end up probably a little bit further down down those rankings yeah but for me as well then you've also got the
2: added one which is kind of the should not say, quiet as they say um, it's like the mental boost mm. so I think I'm right in saying like biomechanically mm. the most efficient fastest way to row 2k which should be to do yeah. all 500 at yeah, the exact same, same split, split right yeah. and that should be the best way to do it yeah but that means you're probably going to be like 5 or 6 seconds off the pace coming through 500 yeah. And there is something I guess it probably is quantifiable, but there is a, that mental advantage of sitting up that yeah. makes that obviously it is enough of an advantage that there aren't many crews ever that have tried to just do that yeah. flat pace.
0: Yeah. I know there are some that have. Well, you need like unbelievable levels of confidence to yeah. do that. You yeah. Know? yeah. I think like the Kiwi pair yeah. and yeah. the Australian pair are probably the two that would spring to mind the most. Yeah. yeah. Always down at, at halfway. But, yeah. This and like mattress. miles down. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah, it could be. <laughs> But then just, yeah, 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 exactly. Definitely having confidence. But then then that's so, then that he said, even there, there's an area where, you know, could be explored a bit more. Yeah. Whether, what, whether how much that mental benefit could be
1: overturned by a perfectly efficient race. Absolutely. Well, I mean, as someone who comes from like Poland and has had to like learn a new way of rowing, like following the British example, it seems to me that British technique is kind of like the epitome of efficient rowing, you Mm -hmm. know no wasted movements like using perfect using a levers perfectly like the strong obviously as the stroke progresses you use the legs you use the hips and then arms etc like all in that order and then you can see at other countries who aren't doing quite so well for example and then i would probably say that maybe they're lacking technically Mm -hmm. uh, but they're probably like more powerful so i think it also like really makes sense what you said that if, you're, if you if if the power and the fitness is there that, mm-hmm. and the efficiency is kind of lacking, you are going to go slow, but not the other way around. So, mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is that you could look at a crew like the the Dutch, um, even the singles color, mm-hmm. who's beaten the Olympic champion Emma Twigg. Mm-hmm. That was a pretty and, big win. Yeah, <laughs> a massive win. margins. <laughs> some, there are still some big margins. Well, that's yeah. what I mean. It's not exactly what I'd consider classically the perfectly efficient rowing style. Yeah. So like how do you how do you balance that really? I guess it's like if it's well, if you're in a single it's it's
0: it's testing different ways of rowing and working out what I guess it goes back to what I was saying earlier about like, well what 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 do you do already that's giving you like the most bang for your buck basically? Like if 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 ninety percent of what you're already doing is giving you ninety percent of your boat speed then it's then it's worth keeping. But I guess Mm really what we're talking about is like how do you find those those last like the margins that give you like the last one or two percent um but i guess it you know there's there's so much more there's so many more systems available now even at like the club level so like before it was kind of like well how do you measure your speed it's like well we're gonna go to dawny and we're gonna do like a couple of 2ks and we'll do one at this rate and so it's like okay well we did this this speed at this rate, this speed at this rate. So that's good. We're getting faster. But do mm-hmm. you think that now even your average club crew can go and be like, okay, well, we did, we'll go out and do a 2K at 22 and then one at 24 and one at 26. And then we'll be like, okay, well, here at this point, we can take a 500 meter and we can say, here was the boat speed. But we can also say like, here's how many watts we were putting down as a crew. Like, here's our catch slip. Here's our finish slip. Like, here's the acceleration trace of the boat you know here's how yeah from the acceleration trace we can say like well how well were we rocking over like how Mm -hmm. well was the boat running so once you've got all those in all that information like you basically keep one thing the same which is usually the rate yeah and you then say well how if we manipulate all of these other variables like if we do the same power at this rate with less catch slip is it going to be faster well like hopefully it will be yeah um or if we have the if here everything else the same but now we're going to like rock over twice as fast is that going to make the boat faster and it is like you know if we rock over faster we get a bigger acceleration by quarter slide but we get a massive deceleration into full slide yeah is that a faster way of rowing and i think like that's really where you're going to get those extra one or two percent but i think that's probably a big reason that a lot of club crews are getting so much faster, but equally like for the example of the Dutch female scholar, like if, if you only have to work that out for one person, then that's how, you know, you can, you can test all of those variables and I feel like that's how you can come up with that, that most efficient way of rowing. And I think, you know, I've definitely been guilty of that in the past. of being like, is, you know, that doesn't look like an efficient way of rowing, but then it's like, is my eye the best judge of efficiency? Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I think about using like biomechanics telemetry. Like, it, I I'd always say like, okay, maybe I can say ninety five percent by eye. That's what it should look like. But you need to measure that last five percent. But then, you know, if you're talking about a five percent different in boat speed, you're talking about a difference between winning the Olympics and you know not even Making getting it. near. Well, not even not even qualifying. Yeah, like, yeah, not even getting anywhere near. Like you talking about the difference
1: between an Olympic crew and a club crew is, that's true five percent yeah yeah it will be I love the scientific approach to yeah. to, to rowing and trying so, to trying to make the and I'm pretty bad at maths. what's the difference
2: between 520 yeah which is like Olympic eight yeah like medalish kind of time yeah. and then and then what do you what can you what are you winning like, like Thames Cup 544
0: like four, five, five, forty, 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 Well, yeah, five forty. I think it used to say like five forty, you'd be guaranteed to win the Thames Cup, but I think it needs to be a bit quicker. Maybe oh, like so five thirty-six. So what's twenty? So, so fifty, like, fifty, so fifty, so, the, fifty, so the GMT for men's Day is now five fifteen point five. Wow. Okay, that's a gold medal <laughs> time. Um, but so that's one hundred percent. I think off the top of my head, like five forty is like a ninety-four percent, ninety-three,
1: ninety-four.
0: Okay. okay. So, yeah. so wow yeah so five percent off olympic gold
2: is
1: touched yeah. up yeah yeah that's scary that is yeah. incredible yeah geez yeah. yeah. so that means the ladies plate are even closer to the the yeah. olympics than we might think yeah. but if you
0: think like so i was at jewsburg Regatta in may and obviously brooks won the ladies plate at Henley by a foot and in jewsburg they went 529 so that's like a hot like i don't know what that would be like 96 97 okay so then that's what i mean like as i said earlier is like the fact that you can get like club and university crews having access to all of this way of of kind of recording this data and that's how clubs like them and thames have, and Ander have like got to that level where it's like okay you're now knocking on the door of actually you know if you turned up to a race where you've got like an Olympic eight versus, you know, someone that's entering the ladies plate, like it's not just going to be a walkover anymore. Like it is, you, you can feasibly get close to that. And I think that's why that gap is closed is because national teams had access to all that stuff before. Mm. And uh, you know, if you go out on an average date, like Saturday morning on the Tideway right now, like the amount of crews that are running around of like telemetry on or like yeah. s- screens getting live feedback and it's like, it's the the whole like that side of the game is like changed so GPS much. Yes,
2: stroke coaches yeah. and things like that. Yeah, it yeah, exactly. was always like you're trying
0: to get your impeller. Up. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like it's <laughs> so. Like you're you're downstream and you're upstream, yeah. tying, like, yeah.
1: trying to average them out. God yeah. forbid you put a seat pad on because then the yeah. magnet won't connect yeah. or something.
0: But it just makes to so say if you take like training on the tide wave, for example, like as you just said, you can't measure. You but before telemetry, you couldn't measure how fast you're going or how hard you're working. So yeah. you're just going off feel, but it's like. You know, if you've got an eight hours, it's got the the peach system with the screens on, like, you just go out and be like, right, your UT2 watts is 220, and you just go out and run the whole session at 220, and it's like, well, then That's you true. know that you had the most consistent session possible, whereas that like, you go out before and be like, right, we're going upstream, so, like, now it feels like the water's moving a bit quicker, so now we need to work harder, and then you're coming downstream, and like, oh, we're going so fast in relation to the bank, so I'm just going to, like, back off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, like... I always like use the example of like, well, if you did a 2K erg with no screen, it wouldn't it probably wouldn't be very consistent. But before telemetry came onto the scene, that's basically what we were all doing. And yeah. now like if you look at like the A final of the Champ Ata Met, like half those crews are gonna have like live feedback of like force curve and watts and everything. So it's like, well that's that's why crews are starting to get so much quicker and mm. and also why the gap is getting mm much closer between all of the top crews like even in the uk but in the information age then suddenly too
2: much is then how do you wade through it yeah so for you how much time do you spend looking at it how like as a percentage of your eye versus telemetry yeah what are you going on in terms of coaching
0: so when i've used telemetry i've just had it <clears throat> had it in just have it have it recording while we're rowing um i'll tend to just focus on one thing at a time and that could be something for the crew so like you could be saying like okay we're gonna we want to improve or we want to reduce the the deceleration on the boat into the front. so we're going to try and move in a different way on the recovery. Or it might be that, you know, somebody has a, somebody has a lower, lower wattage output than the rest of the crew. So instead of just saying like, I want you to pull harder, you can be like, okay, I want you to reduce your catch slip and increase your rate of force production. So like how, how quickly you're getting your legs connected at the front. Um, But I think like the way I, have used it and will continue to use it in the near future is just to reinforce the points that you're coaching i think for me it's really useful that like you know it's the, the thing that oh it's like the classic thing you laugh at someone for with oh you're not getting your blade in and it's like okay we can all have a good laugh about it but as soon as you start saying like your catch angle is 65 degrees and your catch slip is 20 degrees so it's like well you're not connected for 20 degrees of the entire stroke that you're rowing and would be like, this number is twenty. I want you to get it to below to to below ten. As soon as it's like a quantifiable, like achievable metric, it's gonna get improved like way, way quicker. Yeah. I
2: and- think we're also seeing it and the making the athlete understand it because I think it'd be really difficult sometimes to what you think you're doing and what you're actually doing. Yeah. for me, like even just video analysis. Yeah. You know, even for myself, you know, the coach is saying, Tom, I really need to see you getting the blade in earlier. I'm like, Yeah. I'm smashing it. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? I'm doing it. And then you're in the video and you're like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Because there's a real there's a strange thing when like I guess especially when you start doing a movement so much, mm. even the smallest change can mm. feel like a huge difference. Yeah. So you end up making it tiny. Yeah. Because just make just, just doing that a little bit, you're like, I'm absolutely sending you know, yeah. like I'm I'm catching here now. And it's like you're not. It's just because you've been doing a little bit, not enough. That change yeah, makes yeah, a yeah. difference. I guess like an extension of video yeah. in terms of just getting the athlete to understand. Like you said, again, like for me, with coaching, it's like so much more valuable to get an athlete to
0: understand what yeah. they are or they're not doing rather than just to shout and tell them. Yeah, and that's the skill as a coach and that's what comes with experience of like, well, what might work for one athlete might not work for another. Like for some people, all they need is video and then you can say like, okay, look, you saw this on the video and this was backed up by the telemetry. Whereas like some people are like so data driven that like they want to see the telemetry like either live or like straight away after they and they don't care about the video because they're like I don't care what it looks like I just care what the numbers say on this like this sheet of paper and it's like it's then working out like how is it of all the tools you have available as a coach like which ones are going to work better for athlete A and which ones are going to work better for athlete B and then just making sure that you kind of deliver things in the right way. Yeah it's uh a I'm like you said, yeah. The mark of a good coach, a good coach I
2: had it early on for a couple of years, Chris Culleton, Uh He would ex- he 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 could he'd worked out a few different ways to explain something. Mm. So he would explain something you want to do from it, you maybe wouldn't quite understand, and then he'd kind of work it out. So you would stop it again and he explain it in a different way, and then he stop it again and explain it another. And then you're like, yeah, that works for me. Yeah, I get yeah. now, I get it because it's yeah. like different people pick up on things different. There, so that's the skill of a coach is to be able to. Or to be able to like yeah get through to your athlete, but yeah. also just it's different. One thing again, like being in uh, taking control and uh, you know having twenty thirty athletes in front of you and telling them the plan for the day, and then having pure silence. Yeah, like you don't get <laughs> yeah. much feedback from no, an athlete. Do you You're like talk and talk and talk. And talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> And just saying, like, I just say, I'm going to need someone yeah. to like make a noise. Yeah. Like, am I still speaking English? Yeah. Is this, are you still following?
0: Like sometimes. Yeah. Most many of you say that because uh, like about having the different ways to explain things because in my experience, like nobody teaches you that. Like you can yeah, learn it from yeah. another coach. But like if you do a, like a, a coaching qualification, I've never seen any coaching resource which says anything about that. Mm. It's like, it's, it's all about like, here's the material, but never about how you deliver it. And Mm -hmm. I think, like, for me, that's, like, a massive, like, oversight or on-site in, in, like, coaching coaches is is actually, like, it doesn't matter how much you know. It's about how much can you get this other person to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, teaching in general in any form is, I've had some smart teachers who just, you know you're oh, so i don't understand this yeah well it's easy yeah uh, for you but yeah. i don't you yeah. haven't explained yeah. it yeah, yeah
1: so. you've been doing it for 20 years how, yeah. how are you baffled that i don't understand but it that's unless you've explained it once
0: yeah. but that's always my approach of coaching is like i'm the only one who needs to know it in a complicated way but you need to understand it in a simple way yeah because like if you're rowing along you're not going to think about a 40 word Sentence I just gave you, I just want to give you one word, and that's going to make you think about doing it differently. And that's like for me, is what's taken me the longest to work out. But like for me, it's definitely one of what I deem the most important skills in coaching is it's like, how can you get someone to change what they're doing without using too many words? Because it's really easy to explain something in a complicated way well yeah. like, it's like well then it's low- it's not gonna it's not gonna get in there it's like you know if you can whittle it down to like one or two or three words and they know what those three words mean <laughs> and they make the change like that is like the yeah. essence
1: of coaching it's funny you can you can hear back some coxing recordings from some so, from some racing and be like okay that call is definitely a technical yeah. call like one that springs to mind is from uh, 2021 on the Twin Threes in the night in an and then they used the word pinch. Yeah. So that, I imagine that just means press out the finish more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pinch. I said like pinch the footplay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So.
2: Yeah, I I also I laugh a little bit like the like the analogies that coaches make or even myself yeah. will make like just to <laughs> trying to try and make it simple, you know, I would say in terms oh. of like pressing off to finish, I'd be like, Imagine imagine you've got your bicycle yeah. and you, 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 you're gonna push it off and you want it to like go as far as it can. Yeah. If you push it off with a little bit, it'll go two metres and then fall flat. Yeah, yeah. If you really give it a send off, yeah. then it'll you know like the more momentum you give it, the longer it will stay flat before yeah, it starts yeah, getting yeah, wobbly and just trying to find other ways for people who haven't been in rowing very long. Yeah. The other one for pushing to finish again would be like, if you were trying to push a car. Yeah. You wouldn't just go like, run a crack. There, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't yeah, just yeah. like crack it. You'd like, get ready, yeah, you'd yeah. squeeze off on a push foot yeah. and then try and push away. And like- yeah. Sometimes just try to find those different
1: ways to get it in like layman's terms, or yeah. I saw, I saw a meme that was like, uh, "Your coach is about to whip up the most elaborate <laughs> explanation." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah, <laughs> yeah. trying to come up how to explain the catch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like it. You like sometimes I'd hear you
2: like from the other launch when we were coaching together. You know, ever be like, "Right, so you know Premiership football?" <laughs> like, okay, okay, here we go. <laughs> Another P classic.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Gonna be done. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to work. Like rowing's just, uh, especially when you first get into it, it's wild. It's not English. Mm. It's got its own language. It's yeah. it's not like any other form of movement. It's super super strange to get into and get people started with.
0: Yeah. But like again, fun and rewarding. So I've looked at looked into coaching abroad a few times, yeah. and that's like for me has often been the reason that I haven't gone through with it because it's like you've got to there's learning a language, yeah. and then there's learning the rowing specific yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I just think like you can't learn that from like Duolingo. Like, yeah. It's yeah. going to take a long time to get to that point where you can come up with those, like it should feel like this. Cause it's like, you might even say somebody that's not even a thing in that culture. Oh, like yeah, they've yeah. never played football. I've never even ridden a bike or something like that.
2: Yeah. Certain words. Yeah. Like, uh, um, press or pinch or those kind of words, which mm. you've heard them so many times, you know, exactly yeah. what's being said, but yeah, in another language that, it just yeah, mean absolutely just mean nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pin it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's Tom's pin it. Pin. I like to pin, yeah.
0: like pin, pin it out. It just, I know yeah, what it yeah, means, yeah. but I understand that, that it doesn't, it's not as easy for other people, yeah, so I yeah. guess. Yeah. But that's the thing is, like, I was saying earlier, you might say something about, like, the bike analogy. Some, some of them click, but it makes sense. And yeah. someone else will be like, what the fuck
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> <up?"> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they won't tell you. Yeah. Like, Has <laughs> everyone got it?
0: Yeah. Like, there's, there's three people that haven't got it. They're yeah. Like, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> i don't know what that is about people like just i guess they didn't don't want to be the old one out or they don't yeah wanna, it's like a real resistance to being like oh, i don't understand what you're saying yeah
1: you don't want to slow down the rest of the group i guess yeah no one wants to stick out i'm not sure yeah As much and you can like say. that's people. the
2: thing is like, like you've got
0: to you've got to make it clear that that's okay yeah i found out with ryan before just been like even if i might speak to people individually just be like if you don't understand like i am the one person that wants to know and like in yeah. the moment when you don't understand that is the moment i want to yeah. tell you about yeah. it because if you come to me afterwards and say oh i didn't understand this thing is like, well now when now we're not yeah. in the boat anymore yeah. and if you didn't understand it while you were in that situation like you sure as hell i'm gonna yeah, yeah, but yeah, now yeah. it's dark outside and we're just stood trying outside the boat house, yeah, so yeah. now is probably not the time you're gonna yeah but then i think that's you know as i said it's sometimes you don't want to be the one to yeah, you, you. I think in rowing, like you almost, you want to be an aggressive learner, and you don't. But people sometimes don't want to, yeah, you know, don't want to be seen to be not understanding it. I'm sure that's the same in any sport, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, especially like when you're competing against
2: the people around you, yeah, potentially for seats. Aggressive learner, I like that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I was going to ask next, and how moving into the world of CrossFit, how has that been a different? How has that been different to just teaching pure rowers?
0: um it's been as like what we just talked about there of like how how to coach how to deliver like the biggest difference for me going into like i've already done a little bit of crossfit coaching and obviously like like in terms of coaching classes but i've done my own thing of coaching seminars but the the main difference is from crossfit to rowing is like crossfit is all about the member experience Mm. and like you know i had a chance to coach at method training which is like one of the top gyms in the northeast and they're like their main priority is the standard of coaching so like what I got from them was like when you come into the environment is like making sure you say hello to everyone like start conversation like make sure all of those people are engaged before you even start coaching them and then like in a class of 20 people how do you get around and make sure that you've seen everybody, you've given them a cue, but also then how do you get, get a chance to like go around and give them that, that feedback as well? And I they like, one of the, the things you learn in CrossFit about coaching is like, if you give someone a cue, you've got to follow up with like a yes, no, or a maybe. Yeah. So it's like, yes, you did it better. No, you didn't do it better and let's try something else. Or you could say like, okay, I'm going to come back to you later, yeah, or you haven't quite got it, but I'll come back, but, um, but keep trying. Whereas I think like, i'd definitely be guilty in rowing of like you're just not getting it but i'll just probably won't i won't say anything I okay, get like, <laughs> like you're trying to get some mileage
2: and you don't really have enough time to yeah. stop for a long time so all right at the spin mm. i'm going to give everyone something quick so then you're yeah. having to remember eight what's it strokes did is seven sevens yeah, yeah, six okay okay <laughs> like spin okay right <laughs> <laughs> like, try and get it all out <laughs> and go again yeah like time limits is tough sometimes
0: yeah and i think with coaching crossfit like I'd say I was always at my most engaged coaching when I was delivering S&C sessions and it was like the first session of a new block because it's like new movements. It's like new rep schemes. Like you're you're basically, you're teaching from scratch on that one thing. Whereas like with CrossFit, that's every single day because it's always something different. Mm -hmm. There's always a movement that they need to work on or they need feedback on or they need information about. So I think like the whole nature of it is that like it is constantly varied and that's almost like, what makes it way or in my opinion like way way more engage you on a daily basis to coach yeah and you know we spoke about earlier of like you know you might as in a, if you're coaching an elite athlete you might help them get three seconds quicker over a season like in CrossFit you're probably helping them get five seconds quicker in 20 minutes yeah, yeah. so like the gains to be made are like absolutely enormous and you know one thing I like about doing CrossFit personally is like I'm good at you say there's 40 movements. Mm. I'm really good at 10 of them. I'm absolutely terrible at 10 of them, and the 20 in the middle, I'm all right at. So like, there's always something to get better at. And and then from on the flip side, from coaching it, it just means that like, there's always something that you can deliver to the athletes in the CrossFit class where they're going to make a significant improvement in that one hour that you that you get contact time with them. And um, then the other the other thing that <clears throat> that I think is good about CrossFit, which I try to implement, especially in the gym with rowing is just like how well structured everything is. Like if you go into like CrossFit classes, never overrun because a, you know, you've got to get back to work or you, the next class is coming in. But the reason that they never overrun is that you have the entire class planned out, you yeah. So it's like, okay, zero to two minutes introduction and chat, yeah. then you do the warp, then you do the mobility, then you do a specific warm up, explain the workout. You factor in your debrief time, your clean up time. So, like the fact that it's so well structured means it's always incredibly well run, and everybody knows that they're going to get there, they're going to commit their one hour of the day, and they're going to leave having been more fulfilled. than I think, yeah. like, compare that to rowing, like. Yeah. You know, you can't say like zero to two minutes. I'm going to brief you, and two to seven minutes, you're going to get the boat on the water because it's just never going to happen. Someone needs to move their feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <someone laughs> forgot their water bottle. Yeah, <laughs> I
2: when I moved to coaching, it's something you've realised even more how much faster it's. Yeah, that. it's like a bit crazy, but um, yeah, again, yeah, I've always sort of maybe not enough i had to quite I had the confidence in my inability to coach but like coaching at college rowing level no disrespect to those people that are there like i've never looked at a crew and not been like i know what we need to do well, yeah of, you know it's there in front of you and i think obviously the higher you get it, you know have you sort of looked at the 23 and like Ooh. Mm. What? oh what <laughs> are we gonna work on because <laughs> that's <laughs> looking pretty good yeah so from the perspective of crossfit yeah we've done i've done a few like uh, just from like um servicing row machines a few mm-hmm. people have said oh, i are you you know can you coach and stuff and I was like yeah fine yeah. I did one for Birmingham Birmingham CrossFit where I turned up we did like I guess maybe just 45 minutes just work through technique first because no one had taught them anything mm-hmm. talked a lot about pacing and stuff and I was like yeah you know sort of do this do that together it's going to make your 2k better and they're like cool we'll all do a 2k now then yeah and I was like <laughs> what do you mean you've yeah. just done like a like, it's not been super intense, but you've just yeah. done a 45 minute session. Oh, yeah, hey, we're just going to yeah. do it. And then they all got massive PBs just yeah. just from not going off like yeah, an absolute yeah. hammer. Different and, breed, yeah. yeah. And I was yeah. just like, oh, okay, that's pretty rewarding. Like, yeah. I just got you a 15 second PB in like one session. This is insane. Because yeah. they've got, like, they've got a lot of the building blocks, like mm-hmm. you said, and it's just about kind of connecting them. And
0: also blocks. because they're used to doing something different every day. Yeah. Like, they're happy to do whatever he them tu them themselves yeah. I like yeah. the
2: thing as we've laughed about it being crossFit in like the in in a normal gym you find some piece of equipment that's really difficult you're like mm. geez that's hard I'm not doing that again like mm. in a crossFit gym like you go on the armbar they like that was horrific yeah. let's do six yeah. more sets yeah. <laughs> 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 it's like trying to find the thing that hurts the most you're like oh my god awful let's go again <laughs> but I like you know that's the worst mental. but
0: I think like that that's one of the the good things about crossFit and I think like as a sport it has such a high rate of retention of athletes because like a it's fun and b it's different every single time you go in but mm-hmm. i think like i guess like flipping it back to like you know what could what could we do in rowing in that in that same vein basically is like well we can't really change how we train but like i think one thing I, i've there's always frustrated me is like in rowing like why do we only race over like very specific distances like why do we Why in the winter do we only do a 5k and a half hour 820? Like, why in the summer do we only do 2k? I think, like, if you started offering different ways of racing on different distances, like, I just feel like the sport would be so much more fun. And especially, like, in some of those summer races, because there's been stuff before, like the Power rate sprints and some of the events that Red Bull have done, but they're just such a almost such a novelty. Yeah, they're closed off to uh, the general public, if you like. i am also wanted, like, know you do that oh that was a fun event to do once but it's like well if you thought it was fun why do you not want to do it again i'm Mm -hmm. like you know why then there's nothing saying you know if you host a a river regatta like you can't do multiple distances in one day yeah yeah and why don't you say like for your entry fee you get a 2k race a 250 race and then like a i don't know two 750s where you have to spin in the middle because it just has it oh that's cool completely different element to it yeah
2: yeah i definitely think some of the fun's been lost in it i think it's probably i'm like we're a victim of our own success as a country yeah britain's been really great at rowing so obviously then more funding's gone into rowing Mm. that funding is then dished out to clubs on the basis that they produce athletes they perform they adhere to a program you know if you want to get gb row funding you better make sure your program's got a half hour rate 20 on a wednesday and three pieces at 2k on a saturday and if it doesn't you're not going to keep your funding for very long so there's a level of professionalism that's required in order to like mm. progress and get that money that comes that drips down from the top yeah But again we sort of did the circuit last year like nat schools met Wall- wallingford Marlow, out there like talking to a lot of other people around and i feel like there definitely is an appetite for a bit more fun in yeah. the sport as well and i think you can have both
0: yeah um because every event you've just listed there is basically the same it's, it's a 2k but it's right, right up to the door. Of and yeah. race to the finish line yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean is it quite nice to
2: change that i've seen from sort of met and where all the eights events are time trialed first and then mm-hmm. you're set into your it doesn't matter what pennant you're in yeah. you're you're going to be in a yeah. final with six crews of your yeah, speed yeah. so you get to race because it's something i was missing when i was rowing at that level you know it was turn up to wallingford met Marlowe, mm-hmm. smash it win by five lengths not every time but towards the end of my career obviously if i'm then if we're in a ladies play eight, hey, brooks wasn't quite where it is now and there's no one else there to challenge you And then you go and race at Henley and you race an American crew that's had an absolute humdinger every week against Princeton and Brown and all their match-fix races and stuff. Obviously, that's going to be really hard to compete with. So I think there's some good things about it, but there's... yeah, I think also it's, it sort of sucks that, like, I guess if you take rowing so seriously, you, you give up so much of your other stuff around it. So if your aim is for Henley Royal Regatta, then mm. after Henley comes and comes and goes, mm. you kind of have to go back to life and make up the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. spend a bit yeah. more time with your girlfriend or your wife or your kids. Yeah. and But then that summer's kind of where the fun stuff happens. Yeah. So, you know, especially for college rowing, I think it really sucks. They have their main event at the end of May. yeah. And then so then they don't row June, July, August, September, September mm. and they come back in October. Three weeks after they start, the mm. clocks go back. Yeah, yeah. You're in the dark. Yeah. It's like,
1: <laughs> you missed the best bit. <laughs> yeah, I know.
2: Um, so, yeah, I feel like there's an appetite out there. I feel like I'm sort, you know, it's going to take, you know, we were talking to other companies like Allmark One, um, Active Tools, a few other companies like rowing-based companies around there. So I feel like maybe if like a few of us could get together, it's just gonna take someone to take a bit of a risk. Yeah. Put a bit of money out there for the first one. Yeah. And maybe try and get some of those events going. But like I said, CrossFit really is a what what you think about it as a as an event or all the rest of it's it's doing something right it's yeah
1: de- it's definitely 100%. a way to take it sorry it's definitely a way to take indoor rowing from just grueling training and, mm. and intense you know performance pieces mm. to something fun and like different types of competitions where possibly the barrier to entry is a little bit lower than like rowing on the water yeah so maybe it's like also making the sport more accessible or like more yeah. discoverable to like yeah. a bunch of people
0: yeah well, a lot of people that i've coached in crossfit on the rowing machines like inevitably all then show an interest in like wanting to get out on the water but then i then i think that leads you to a different problem in rowing is like it's hard to facilitate people just coming down to try it out mm. like it's you yeah. know you know if once you start crossfit you can basically go to any crossfit gym in the world and it's the same because mm. the, the methodology is the same so the, so the sessions will vary a little bit but it's like you're going to know how to do it all but like you know there's no rowing club around that you can just turn up and be like, hey, I've never rowed before, but I'd just like to get out in one of your, like, rowing classes. Yeah, yeah. I know, like, Mark Davies uh, proposed a scheme maybe two years ago of having, like, a rowing passport that basically, if you're a member of one British rowing club, that would, would, like, automatically qualify you to... To then turn up to another club and be able to row but it's i like- think they also trialed
2: this summer they were trialing um a system of a like you could pay to enter a single race mm. like if you didn't want like a whole ara yeah uh, you know british yeah. race card you don't want to pay yeah. for the full year you could you could to try and for exactly that reason to allow yeah. people to have a bit of a go and not yeah. commit but yeah you're right it's something that we could do better but then again it's difficult isn't it facilities
0: yeah i also think a lot of the you know you talk about like barrier to entry like i'd say for me a lot of the barriers in rowing are just like a the tradition but b the amount of people that are think they're keeping the traditions going but are maybe like subconsciously really just gatekeeping a little bit and stopping the sport moving forward mm. and i think like you know having looked into doing some different race events before it's like immediately you're going to hit a lot of problems in terms of like where you hold it who's going to help you run it just like getting the support from like clubs and it's just like yeah. so as a sport we're so stuck in our ways and we just we like a nice safe like oh we know we've got a 2k at Wallingford in May so we'll we'll take loads of time to prepare for that and like yeah you know, I imagine if you turned up at Wallyford and then be like, right, actually, guys, we're only going to race 500 today and it's going to be a rolling must-start. Like, people would just, like, lose their minds.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We had that chat with um, with Tom the other day about how rowing is, like, stuck in its way. And obviously, yeah. there, there are changes impending with, yeah. you know, LA Olympics only being 1,500 meters long, yeah. introduction of beach sprints, inclusivity into sport, and, like, why it is... It's hard because, like, obviously you love the sport, so mm. you kind of almost inevitably will gatekeeper, but also, like, there needs to be uh, room for, for something new. And, like, it's mm. not all bad and can be more fun. Yeah. So I think maybe, like, there's also something to be, like, learned from CrossFit and then bringing that over into rowing. And yeah. Potentially some fresh blood will, yeah. will change things.
0: I think if you look at, like, a couple of other sports that have done it, I guess, like, historically... Cricket moving from, like, full-day test series to doing a 2020 and triathlon, which was, like, obviously quite a long event, then moving to, like, having the Super League stuff. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of sports that or There are other sports that have done it successfully because by taking a sport that, like, is not spectator-friendly because you can only see the end of the race, say, to then if you can change it to a format where the whole race is within the spectator area, like, that, for me, is... It, Immediately, that's a way to make it yeah. more fun because Age then difference. yeah, 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 exactly.
2: Which is why it's getting pushed now. Is why I think Olympic Association is discussing putting it into Olympics. Yeah, um, everyone uses the same boat. Yeah, so you don't have to turn up with your fifteen grand impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or 60, 70 grand if it's an eight.
0: Yeah, um,
2: and yeah, the whole thing happens in front of the yeah, audience, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's smaller crews, so the it's more exciting. Yeah, it's a new sport, so how to win is not necessarily known. So yeah. you have a lot of different winners. Yeah. And you compare that to the eight, and I absolutely love the eight. Yeah. But like if you're not Germany, America, Canada or Britain, yeah. You don't I have know. an interest in it. Yeah. And if you drop that event for the Olympics, you free up nine gold medals. Yeah. Which could be split between a bunch of different beachprint events. And like I don't want to see the eight go, but but I don't want rowing to disappear <clears throat> completely. Yeah. So we're just saying, you know, standing still is going backwards. Yeah.
0: but well, I think as well, like, I know I've known loads of people have said a similar thing. I've just been like, oh, why Why we, Why we? is it going in the direction of beach sprints? Like, beach sprints is ridiculous. But, like, I think if we take an honest look, an honest look at rowing, like, the only people that find 2K rowing at the Olympics exciting is rowers. Because, like, if you look at it with a bit of perspective, you've got, like, one boat is going 0.1 kilometers an hour faster than another boat. And it's like, you know, your boat is, what, 40, 50 feet long mm. and you're, like, going, like, getting, like, an inch ahead, whereas... If you look at a lot of, if you think of like the a lot of like the events like BMX cross or like snowboard cross or anything where the entire race can change in an instant, that's kind of more like what beach sprints gives you because Mm -hmm. like you could make one mistake that could cost you the entire race, or you could get the lead changing hands loads of times. But I think as you said, especially with the eights, it's like you basically know who's going to get the medals, and like maybe the medals might change around, but usually it's like. If you do one speed in the heat, you'll do it again in the semi and then you do it in the final. But I think like moving more towards like, like unpredictability is exciting in racing. And that's, you know, that's how you're going to get more people who aren't currently involved, involved with the sport, engage with it because they turn up and they don't know what's going to happen in the same way that you don't know what's going to happen as an experienced supporter or as an athlete. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an exciting way to kind of push things and like, okay, it's not what we've traditionally done, but maybe like yeah well where's that tradition got us in yeah. terms of like the world outside of rowing like not that many people really care about it like yeah. we're obviously very invested in it yeah. because we're really passionate about it but like you know there's not that big a, a fan base for rowing
2: agreed it? i think it can be more exciting i did i did home countries with wales this year they're trialing out the um 500 meter sprinting as well a 500 min 500 meter sprint race that you do yeah. after your 2k which is obviously fun and exciting and and I don't think any of the orders were the same from the 2 k yeah. racing. So yeah, you need a different thing to be successful over that distance. Uh, I did Commonwealth Games in 2014 where you took uh, eight athletes total, so mm. four guys, four women, and then at the end of the event, you all jumped into it. Oh yeah. you did a mixed yeah, yeah. eight, which was super fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I again, like having talked to a bunch of different people, you know, Ben Lewis was the one who said it. He said he likes to break things down, and keep it simple. It was turn up, train hard, have fun. Yeah. I and mean, you need to do all three of those things. I think the fear for me a little bit is worrying. It's like, you got to turn up and train hard and you're not going to have any yeah. fun. We speak to a lot of athletes, and part of that does create success, but maybe not success for a very long time because yeah. you can't do it for a long time if you're not having fun, I think. Um, I think, yeah, not eight, like um, LA Olympics is going to be interesting because I think it's going to be a different kind of physiology mm. of someone who's going to win gold over 1500 to 2K. And I think it will change things in terms of like, it, it doesn't seem like a huge difference but a 500 meter less you know yeah. like two two minutes less means that like that UT2 base that we're doing so much work on the boring just mileage well, yeah, yeah. kind of doesn't have to be there as much you get yeah. to focus on what's going to be up to the top end I think the other thing is interesting and get your opinion on like lightweight rowing going yeah. like how do you feel about that
0: um I I don't know I, I like it because it's exciting. Yeah. And I think it's the most, it's it historically has been the most exciting mm. racing. And I can see the reason for taking it out. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I kind of understand the logic. Yeah. But equally, as I just said, like if you're talking about creating some excitement around rowing and growing a fan base of people that aren't already in the sport, I think by taking away what has historically been the closest racing, then it probably doesn't really put us in a very good position. I also think that, particularly with the lightweight double, you know, you just talked about with the eight of like Australia, Canada, Britain. It's like it's always the same nations. Whereas with lightweight doubles, you'll get, you know, that's where you'll get like Chile or someone like that. You know, they you have to have a full yeah. system which develops athletes. You yeah, can just yeah. have like. Two really talented athlete, one coach. You get one boat, and you have a gym and some ergs, and that's good enough to be competitive at that level because you've got that raw talent. But I think, like, yeah, if you take that away, then how it's much harder for those smaller nations to feature. So then, if they end up just like giving up trying to do high performance rowing, then that's not good for the sport in general because it just means that it'll just carry. This like perpetuates like the big nations will win all of the medals all the time, and then again. Does that engage people outside of rowing? Yeah. Like probably not. Yeah,
2: I definitely have all those fears. But I mean I also hope that, you know, the age of the Matt Pitts and hundred and fifteen kilo mm. guys over. Yeah. Um, you know, like when I rode, like I said, some someone that we talked before, Matt Gotchall, you know, sub sub 550, yeah, yeah, yeah. 92 kilos. And wow. there's a lot of lightweights who who probably could be 80 if mm-hmm. they weren't trying to eat down it could be 85 yeah. if they weren't stopping themselves <laughs> from adding muscle mm-hmm. and some incredible athletes i hope that a lot of them will just do the crossover yeah and potentially make rowing more exciting and again like power to weight i think is coming in mm-hmm. it's it's been for a while now you know it's coming in it's been here for a while but when i was so efficient in 2013 2014 was like the only time i ever really had experience, like We'd had some, some of seven calipers, but never really like had a focus of like, are you carrying it? extra yeah, weight, yeah. as a heavyweight? Whereas yeah. lightweights are like constantly like, yeah, <laughs> like as a heavyweight, so eat whatever you want. And maybe once a year, a physiologist or caliper year would be like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah, I hope,
1: I hope that it might actually lead to some more exciting things. Yeah. I think we're in that transitional period now where, you know, Lightweights have just been taken away. Beach prints are just coming in. The distances are about to change. So it could be some exciting times, but yeah. also like could be some pretty well defining times for like the future of the sport in general.
0: Yeah, yeah I'd be interesting to see who steps up because uh, the guy that springs to mind is John Smith from South Africa. Yeah. So he's now qualified his fifth boat for the Olympics. So he's just qualified the pair. But they said on the commentary on World Rowing that his 2K PB is 620, which is just like. Unbelievable that he's like qualifying a heavyweight men's pair with a 620 erg. Like his, his like efficiency must be absolutely insane. insane. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Although, but even like he won in London with a, if I mean, I was, if six, I don't know when he did his 620, but even to win yeah, a, a, not, a to, meant, to yeah. win a lightweight gold medal on the 620 erg, or maybe it's, so it's just that, that he just doesn't care about it yeah yeah, f- yeah. he doesn't yeah, yeah, train yeah. for
2: it maybe potentially but yeah even then it's not quite it's crazy but then yeah. the, but then the, it's moved it just moves so fast mm. i remember well i guess i don't i don't think maybe in 08 every heavyweight man had, had like a sub sub six but mm. like it it wasn't much before then Yeah, that it wasn't. I remember having an article on my wall, I think like 0405 from British Indoor Rowing Championships. And uh, I think it might have been out of like Rowing Magastro or, or something on the back of the paper. It might have been back of the main mainstream paper that was like 13 British athletes go under six minutes. Yeah, like it yeah. wasn't even the whole team. It was yeah. like a huge deal that all these guys were doing it.
0: Yeah, and It's just like yeah. bang, bang, now, bang. It, now at trials, it's like 50, 50 or 60 people. Yeah, like no one says, yeah. no one cares yeah. it's not a big deal anymore yeah. 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 I remember <laughs> I turned up at Leander at
2: 18 and the coach is like because I turned up I was like 6 foot 8 and 87 kilos like yeah. an absolute bean pop yeah. the coach was like you need to be 97 kilos and you need to be sub 6 You 97 kilos sub 6 so spend the next 5 years and I finally eat my way up to 97 go sub 6 what do you think coach you need to be 92 kilos really? with 555 yeah. it's like <laughs> no, you, you can't just like every time I got there it's like change the goalposts yeah, now. yeah, yeah. yeah. and <laughs> and to be fair the athletes uh, it springs to mind like Will Satch was, a, was an athlete that every time you moved the goalposts he hmm. could step up again and like yeah. it's like but based on your physiology whether you can or can't do that yeah who knows yeah
0: some can kind of some can't
1: absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah cool well i guess we've just got some quick fire round questions oh, to well, ask okay. you at the end that's fine yeah mm, question i normally lead with is what out of all the rowing venues that you might have trained at visited yeah. or raced at what yeah. are some of your favorites and why oh i uh,
0: definitely have to say the x row in switzerland um did you do it what year did you do? i didn't do it i coach, okay. coached a crew but um Who was, like, what crew is it go on um, so we came, it took a Tideway Skullers Women's 8 It was the last year it ran So that was 2018 Was that No that wasn't with Kara. No she was there At the same time Ah yeah, she yeah. was with She was probably In the Tideway crew or something Yeah 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 But just like The landscape Of that area I think that was like The best weather that would ever been But just like There was literally Just like The epitome Of the Swiss countryside Just like Cows with bells Around their necks And everything was like green just an amazing place to row. <clears throat> um, Baselhead in Switzerland as well. That's, okay. That's a pretty crazy race. Um, so that's a sprint race in the morning, and then in the afternoon, or the, the second race of the day is a 6K, but they only have 3K of rowable river. So you basically race 3K up, spin around 180, and then then race back down again. That's cool. Um, so that's pretty phenomenal. Um, Sarasota in Florida. That was pretty cool place to... Pretty cool... Cool place to row, mm-hmm. um, and then got to say the River Tees always, have, always nice. have a special place in my heart as nice. well. Got <laughs> a, a lot of people can't forget your roots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. got some some great memories from from that place. So
2: yeah, a lot of people go with the the home the home stretch. Yeah, uh, here's it. I love that Matt Tarrant said that that we were talking about dealing with the yoga. You know, like doing these things. Oh, I've only got five k left, so one more k and it's four k. All yeah. these <laughs> things you do in his head. And he said he always, whenever he got to the last two k, he was just back on his stretch you uh, know, yeah it's the old tree and, yeah, the little yeah, yeah, and yeah. he just visually would just visualize his little route home yeah I like which is really
1: nice yeah <laughs> yeah i've got one more question and that is if you were to repeat or do one race again when you're like 60 70 what yeah. would it be and why it's like a regatta that you've taken part in or like yeah. one of the races that you've done that you'd like to do over um good question
0: i don't want to say like hemi final because it's just like such an obvious one yeah i did not i didn't particularly enjoy that
1: race but um possibly like some crazy wacky regatta in another yeah. part of the world
0: oh uh, yeah so i did the after in 2012 when matt wells retired from the gb team he hosted his own sprint regatta in hex yeah. <laughs> in hexam in the northeast so that was just like Oh, we were there a oh, few weeks really? ago. Yeah. 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 So there was um, repeated rounds. So they, basically, he got like the top eight guys um, from the Olympics to come and race in. So, like, Campbell was <laughs> there, Drysdale <laughs> was like, so there were the French guys. It Chop was there. So that was like pretty crazy just seeing. And they just did like round robin format. So everyone just raced each other. Oh, that's cool. Um, there's just like a re- just, like good vibe. There's like uh DJ there. They had. Um, like events we could race in as well so racing in fours and eights but i think just going back to what we were saying earlier that was like one of the most fun races i've been in because it wasn't really about the results it was just about like the enjoying fun. enjoying the process of racing and it, because it was such a short event like if you made one mistake it was basically game over mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was pretty cool that sounds like a good one yeah yeah that yeah.
2: was skull- much better at making friends. With other yeah. Nations, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't see many rowers coming over, but Alan Campbell with his super eight. Was, yeah. Although one of them beat me to the Head of the River once. <laughs> <laughs> um, the question I like to ask, if you could go back to, if you could travel back in time to the age where you really first fell in love, caught the bug for rowing, yeah, uh, and you could give that kid some advice, what would
0: it be? So, well, yeah, I rode at school, but I still vividly remember... I think it was like November 2009. That was the first time I ever took a stroke where I was like, oh, that's what it should feel like. And if I could give advice to that person, that kid, well, a young adult, I would say just like, listen to your coach, basically, because they're trying to help you. Yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking I knew best and obviously did not know best. But I feel like once I had a bit more Humility that I really moved on as an athlete and then that definitely paid off in terms of coaching as well.
1: Good answer. Yeah, that's a really good yeah. answer. So I've just got one last question. Final yeah. question. Yeah. Uh who are some of your rowing idols or the people you've looked up to during your career or post your career?
0: Um definitely Catherine Copeland when I was at tees <clears throat> I think like being in that environment of seeing how she operated uh, like not just as not just on the water but everything she did like off the water as well in terms of like her own management like motivation mindset um i think like having trained with her and then seeing her win the olympics like it was cool to see her win but it wasn't a surprise like just seeing what she did like on a daily basis um i guess it's like that thing of you know the Success being like the total sum of like the little details, like she was like literally like the the epitome of that. Um and I think having the having the opportunity to be at UL at the same time as like seeing Paul Bennett when he was developing and Ollie Cook and uh Noddy, I think just like being around that type of athlete. I guess it's like seeing what the top athletes do and how they operate. And not like, okay, not not necessarily what they were doing at that time was not what won them the Olympics or worlds, but just like seeing what they put in on that stage of the pathway, along with the natural talent that they had, to then like make that step up into like yeah. winning student events at Henley and then getting into the team after that. But <clears throat> that is like a common theme of all the best athletes I've ever been around, and it's just like they do the basics really well they have a good attitude and they kind of make the most of the people that they have around them to to, give, to, to help make that next step. I think that's like yeah, looking behind back. the curtain is always. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, just like, I guess one into, of all those people I've spoken about, just like seeing how they handle things where it's not going well. Mm. And I think mm-hmm. like, you know, you always look at people like, okay, you've won the Olympics, you've won worlds. Like just assume that it's always this like bit of smooth route there, but yeah. it's like, you could have not named one person in the world who's just like had an easy route to winning the Olympics. Like yeah. everyone has setbacks. Everyone has to face adversity. But I guess that's that's the mark of like an Olympic champion is like, what did you do in that situation when it wasn't going well? And did you were you able to keep focused on like your process, and then that gets you back on track to uh, getting getting on top of your goals. I like
2: the quote that you won't get judged by any mistakes; you will get judged by how you fix them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like the mark of a of a yeah the mark of a champion is how you respond to
0: exactly yeah. yeah yeah i think so you say the same about teams like the mark of a good team isn't isn't what happens when it's going well it's like the mark of a good team is like how do you operate when you're you're against the wall
2: i've seen for coaches as well you know like i've been in crews where we got in and it was great mm. and the coach did a good job but like what do they have to do yeah and then actually like when you get in a crew and it's not going great and then you look to the coach you're like we need some help now yeah. <laughs> some yeah. of them can step up and maybe some not as much but then yeah. you know people always on their own on their own journey mm. but yeah no it's always a different mark but also i wanted to say like i have you seen the finish of cats win
1: no yeah. oh it's <laughs> yeah. the best yeah it's the
2: best they cross the finish line and you can just see she just mouths the words she is it like straight turns down she's like oh my god did we just win the other yeah, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like, it's and the- then she's yeah. like and then she's like we're gonna be on a stamp because you remember in london uh, like yeah, can, yeah. all the champions like they got those stamps published really oh like those that's, cool. Yeah. that's cool yeah but she was just like couldn't believe it because yeah, you see yeah. that when she she's like what's over yeah yeah she's
1: like, like, there's, uh, there's no one else there yeah
0: yeah and <laughs> then she just like it's so funny like oh my
2: god yeah <laughs> <laughs> you have got to get her on cat if you're listening yeah absolutely <laughs> we'll get you at some point shut out, definitely no uh awesome it's been awesome to have you on uh i wouldn't like let you talk about uh how people can get hold of you if they want some coaching sure
0: yeah just um follow me instagram just search clark performance we've got that up
2: that'll be up on the video yeah. the handle's already attached all right. uh, yeah,
0: yeah. go for it yeah instagram is instagram is my main form of communication all yeah. my details are on there but yeah love helping people get better at right so get at me if you've got some goals Awesome.
1: Now, it's, this episode has been absolutely fantastic. I've learned so much during it, and also like dropped some real sauce on like the the tips and the tricks that you can implement, and like how to critically look at yourself, how to evaluate yourself, how to how to take more responsibility, all in pursuit of making that piece of carbon yep. go go a little bit faster across two thousand meters. But no, it's exactly. been it's been fantastic, and really nice to meet you as well. Great, I've enjoyed it. Love, yeah, love love chatting about rowing. So. He doesn't. Yeah,
2: that's <laughs> why we started this. I'll come back anytime. <laughs> yeah, well, we'd love to love to have you on again for sure. It's been Absolutely. really interesting. Um, we've had a few coaches on before and we sort of get into like um, the science of rowers, but I think we've mm-hmm. spoken a bit more about coaching as well, which is really interesting. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there whether they coach full time or yeah, as part you know to make a bit of money while they row. Yeah, I think there's been some some really well, interesting things. we have glad called. to
0: hear. It. Like because because when I started coaching. There was just, like, I couldn't find any resources. Mm. So, like, that's, like, a huge part of what I'm trying to do now is... What was weird is, like, with under-23s, I was... I'd started trying to film them trying to get do the exercise rather than just film, like, here was before and after. Mm. And then, like, as part of that process, I obviously then had to film myself coaching. And then during that process, under-23s this year, like, I basically was like, hey, does anybody want to, like, hear hear the coaching or hear the process? And, like, that was one of the biggest responses I ever had to anything on Instagram. And it was, like, amazing the the amount of people that wanted to see what that process was like. But then it also makes you realize that, like, well, they're probably so interested in it because you can't get that anywhere else. Yeah, actually, yeah. I've personally learned so much by either just being next to good coaches or being coached by them. And actually, you know, your average... You know, I was quite lucky having, like, being around World Class Start, being at UL, then getting to Cabersham And, like, some people will just never have those opportunities so just being able to kind of like break down that barrier a bit i feel like is is incredibly rewarding
2: yeah i mean we picked up you pr- pr- pretty early from when we started doing this like just you popping up on instagram and the yeah. stuff you're putting on there is really cool and different to what we saw other people doing and uh, yeah um yeah i mean your name has been kind of firing around for a while yeah I'm glad we found this <laughs> got a chance
0: to, to sit down with you yeah, yeah. i just, just want to make it more accessible basically that's that's it'll like like we're, we're all as coaches, we're all too secretive and we don't want anyone to know what we're doing. Yeah. At all. So it's definitely a breath of fresh air seeing that stuff on social media. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's, it's absolutely like why we started this was to just try and have an opportunity for people to yeah talk about it and yeah. get it out there and just have it there for anyone to access. Yeah. So. Oh,
0: hopefully. Well, thanks for asking all the right questions. Oh, no, <laughs> oh, really, <laughs> made me easy, to, made it easy for me to just ramble on about writing. Ask no, uh, <laughs> no what skill? Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's Funny. what I'm. That's what we're learning now. You know, we're in yeah. the in the podcasting, just really trying to push. <laughs> well, that's the same. but Bring the same thing. You know, how can we make it a bit better, a bit
0: better? Yeah, yeah. That's what they. I don't know if you listen to the high performance podcast. They they started asking their guests how did we do how did we
1: yeah, how, yeah. how did how were we as interviewers so far that was really good uh-huh, interesting we'll get there definitely and yeah. no it's been an absolute pleasure yeah. so on that note easy there cue, <laughs> cue the music